Hello, welcome to the countdown to 2024. And I thought we would do something really fun today on the show, which is an encore episode. So I've never done one like this. You'll see that it's longer than any other episode that I've ever put out there. And that is because I am resharing five of our top episodes from 2023. So I know there has been a lot of growth here on the podcast. We've got a lot of new listeners. And some of you may have not scrolled all the way back to the beginning of the archives to see what is out there and to hear some of the great episodes that we put out this year. And I have to be honest, it was super hard to choose which episodes to replay because I would replay all of them. I would re-listen to all of them. I would go back and have all of the conversations with my guests again. And I've just really loved every single minute of creating this podcast for you this year. So what I decided to do was make some decisions based on statistics. So in this episode, and we'll put the timestamps below so you don't have to obviously listen to them all in one big go. And you can see like how long each of the episodes are that are being stitched together here. But we are going to share with you the most downloaded guest episode, the most listened to solo episode. And as our podcast covers different sort of themes, I wanted to highlight an episode from each of the themes. So one of those is business strategies. So we're going to do a business strategy replay. We have a managing entrepreneurship replay and an inspirational success story replay. So let me tell you what each of those are. Our most downloaded guest episode was episode 46, I believe it was which was create marketing that looks good, feels good, and makes sales with Haley Ritzler. Okay, actually, it was episode number 44 with Haley. And that one was so good and so tactical. And no wonder it was so well loved by all of you. So the most listened to solo episode was actually way back at the beginning, episode number four entitled The Most Powerful Thing I Ever Did to Support Growing My Business. It's all about taking action and learning how to let go of your fears and actually put yourself out there. So absolutely, it is a must-listen episode. For our business strategy replay, I'm bringing back an awesome show that I did with my guest, Angela Henderson, And that was episode number 39 called Double Your Marketing ROI. And she goes into all kinds of different visibility strategies and collaborations and such to help you really skyrocket your marketing faster. When it comes to managing entrepreneurship, I really loved the episode that I did with Shulamit Bear Levtov. And she is the entrepreneur's therapist. And that was episode number 43, which was mental health and entrepreneurship. And that really applies whether or not you're a business owner, you should definitely listen to this one because it's something that we need to navigate on a daily basis of how we are actually experiencing and managing all of the mental load things that are happening to us um, as we walk through this crazy thing called life. And as a last replay encore special episode. I have to bring back, I know this one wasn't too long ago, but if you haven't listened to it yet, please enjoy this inspirational success story. 
episode number 49, Redefining Success with Multimillionaire Keaton Hoskins. I loved that episode. It was very deep and it also gave this really great perspective of somebody who has, quote, made it and achieved all the things that we probably still have on our vision boards as entrepreneurs at this point and how the experience of getting there is actually different than we think and what we need to actually focus on instead of just the the goals and the numbers and the money that we want. So I hope you enjoy listening to this little encore performance and these five episodes from the season of Entrepreneur School as you are sipping on your coffee and Baileys or your hot chocolate or huddled up by the fire with your Christmas tree or whatever you have going on in your world right now. Enjoy. And I will see you in 2024. This is the Entrepreneur School Podcast, where we believe you can run a thriving business and still make your family a priority. This show is all about supporting you, the emerging or early stage entrepreneur on your journey from solopreneur to CEO while wearing all of the other hats in your life. My name is Kelly Sinclair, and I'm a brand and marketing strategist who started a business with two kids under three. I'm a corporate PR girl turned entrepreneur after I learned the hard way that life is too short to waste doing things that burn you out. On this show, you'll hear inspiring stories from other business owners on their journey and learn strategies to help you grow a profitable business while making it all fit into the life that you want. Welcome to Entrepreneur School. Hey, hey, Haley, welcome to Entrepreneur School. Yay, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I love having guest interviews on the show, especially when we're talking about one, motherhood and running a business because you have three very young children. Yes. Yeah. And like transitioning into school and stuff right now. It's crazy. Yeah, it's um it's been it's been something. It's been good. My oldest is very outgoing, so he's been thriving in kindergarten. But, you know, then I also have two younger in daycare, so it's been um kind of chaotic in the mornings. Like now people are going to different places, um like different schools. So, figuring all that out has been, you know, it's been it's been a lot, but now we're a couple months in. We are getting the routines under our belts and I think I think we're settling in, but you know, we're also getting into six season. So, anything's possible at this point. <laughs> oh man, just so much just like what's going to happen tomorrow and then you make a plan and then something just goes totally sideways. <laughs> oh, I know. It's like every plan I make has to have a caveat or a plan B because I'm like, I don't know who's going to get sick when and like, you know, we went to a movie this weekend and my husband was sick. So I was like, okay, well, you're staying home and but but it was fun. I feel like my kids are starting to get a little bit older. I mean, older. They're almost six, three and seven months. So very young. But like we can go out and do some more fun things now. Like I took my two oldest to a movie and it was like it was so great to be able to do something that was also relaxing for me because, you know, I find a lot of motherhood very exhausting, but I love going and seeing a movie. But with young kids, it's just not really something that we get to do very much. So being able to do something like that with them and something that I really enjoy as well. It was just it was it was a really great time. So I'm excited to kind of come into this phase of motherhood here and there a little bit. 
Yeah, it is a game changer when they start like becoming more independent and stuff. But you just shift into different levels of like mom sherpa-ness. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh, I, yes. I live at our community rec center. I literally have to go there four days a week for gymnastics or hockey practice at this point. And it's like, okay, this is my life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When they can start like doing some things on their own while you just like get a moment to yourself. It's like, ah, like, okay, I, I can breathe now. And my, my seven month old, he is just the happiest little guy, which is Aww. great. I haven't historically had super happy babies, but he is very happy. He's so easy to take around everywhere. He'll like fall asleep wherever. So he's, I guess, that stereotypical third child, just go with the flow, which has been really, really like wonderful addition to our family. I just love him so much. He's like just the the best baby. So that's been that's been wonderful. <laughs> oh, that's so good. Because I honestly can't imagine running a business and like you're like you're into your second business kind of getting it off the ground with such a young baby. So tell us a little bit about like what you do and how this is like unfolding for you. Yes. Oh my gosh. Okay. That's a great question. So um, I have been in the online space since 2016. I actually started with a home improvement blog and my husband and I had just bought our first house. It needed a lot of fixing up. And so I, um, you know, I have a degree in marketing. So I've been very much in the like marketing space for a long time. And I've always just loved the digital aspect of it. I guess, I don't know, I kind of grew up in like boom of the internet and when it was big to have a MySpace profile and all of, all of those kind of things. So um, I've just loved digital marketing for as long as I guess the internet was became a thing, if you will. Um, yeah. But um, <laughs> yeah, so I... <laughs> I uh, got a degree in marketing. I um, started my first blog in 2016 and then uh, kind of started getting more and more into the online space. Started working with another creator in 2019, like got more experience with like really marketing strategies, funnel strategies, all that good stuff. Um, and in that time, I discovered StoryBrand. So I mean, are you familiar with StoryBrand? Yes. Yeah. Um, I am so obsessed with the StoryBrand framework. So StoryBrand is a company by Donald Miller. I am a StoryBrand certified guide, which just means that I um, am able to implement this framework with the uh, with clients and you know everybody would, that I work with. So wanting so becoming a guide is something that I've been wanting to do for years, and just finally the stars aligned last a little over a year ago, August 2022. What year is it? 2023. August 2022. So finally, it was like, okay, I think I have the bandwidth to do this now. Um, but I was also pretty newly pregnant at that time. So I was a little bit like, is this the best time to do this? Like, what am I doing? I have two kids. I'm pregnant with my third. I decided to move forward and get certified in December of last year. So I was like, certainly I was doing at the end of February. So it oh was um, kind of the certification. Well, the um, it's just like a three day or it's like a I think it was like a four day online uh, certification. It wasn't too bad on that regard, but I had not technically launched my services yet. I was still in the I was still getting things up and running. I had a full time position at the time as well. And so I was kind of wanting to do that on the side. But then launching my own business in June 2023 
Um, so I was really balancing a lot of things when I decided to get certified, but I just, I wanted to do it so bad. I had been waiting like probably three or four years for the time to be right to do it. So the stars aligned. I was like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to get certified. So I got certified in December. It was great. I was so excited. I was so jazzed about, uh, you know, everything that I learned to start implementing for clients. And then in January, pregnancy brain hit me full force. I could not like hardly put two sentences together. I was exhausted and I like wanted so bad to be able to work on my business, but I was so tired. And I finally came up with like the name of my business and like set up a WordPress site. And that was that was it for me. <laughs> so um, I really my brain went offline from like January until May. Probably <laughs> I had the baby. I had him. He's wonderful. My little Benny boy. Um, I got kind of through those first few months postpartum. And then in May, so about three months postpartum, I also had some just really kind of tragic family stuff that happened and whatnot. So it was just a lot to go through in the spring. Yeah. Uh, and then in May, I was like, okay, I'm ready. My brain is back online. Let's go. So I started working on like I started putting some stuff together to launch my business. And then one day in June, I was like, I'm just going to start following a bunch of people that I know on my new Instagram account. And I didn't really realize that that was going to be the launch of my business. And, um, you know, a bunch of people reached out. They were like, oh, this is so cool. I didn't know that you were going to be, you know, branching out and starting your own marketing services. And I was like, yeah. So that was kind of my messy launch. I was anticipating to for that to be the launch of my business. But then a few people were like, oh, hey, like I would love for you to help with my marketing messaging. And I started booking clients and here we are. Um, so it was, yes, what I'd like to call a messy launch because I did not have all my systems in place when it happened. And like, I don't know, we just, we we did it and it was great. And I kept adding things on and making revisions as I went and balancing that with getting then my, you know, my littlest into daycare and, you know, balancing motherhood. It's been wild, but I guess not maybe quite as well as I thought it would be. I don't know. My husband is wonderful, too. I always have to give him so much credit and so many kudos because he's like my person and my support person and he's a wonderful partner to have. So I that's think. awesome. OK, let's go back and unpack this for a second. You launched Methy. So you had like you're like, I'm going to do this. And you're yeah, I love the phrase. Uh, my brain went offline. So way to like listen to what you need right in the time and the season that you were in at that point and then you were like okay so you know tell me what like like take me back because it's been a minute since i launched a business like when you're thinking about starting what are all the things and especially if you are already deep in the online space there's so much influence out there around like what you quote should do in order to launch so yes. tell me like what's going on in your mind as you're thinking about how what how I'm supposed to and what I'm supposed to do here. Yeah. So I have I'm kind of like a serial entrepreneur, if you will. Like I will get a really fun business idea and then just like come up with all the branding for it and then like kill it. <laughs> but I don't end up wanting to do it. So like I have almost launched a sticker shop, a caramel apple business like a bunch of really random things but mostly i just love creating the marketing and branding for businesses and then the rest i'm kind of like meh but i knew that this one is one that i was going to have to see through so 
to start, I knew that I needed to get everything like legal squared away. So my first step was filing for an LLC for it. So I needed to first come up with the name of my business and the name of my LLC. That is what took me the longest because I'm terrible when it comes to naming things. So I spent that was like my whole pregnancy was just trying to come up with a name for my business. So I settled on Copy Click Studio, which I love. I'm so happy with the name that I chose. So I had to file for an LLC. Once I got that, I had to get an EIN number so that I could, you know, do taxes and stuff through it. And then I needed to find an accountant. So those were kind of all the foundations for the business, as well as creating a website and then very much prioritize putting an email list together because I knew that was going to be where where my business like existed. So I had to do those were very high on my list as well as what was the other? Oh, getting like a billing software set up so that I could get my people like have a contract signed, have them pay all in one cohesive, easy step. So and then Instagram, because I like hanging out on Instagram the most. I wanted that to be where I focused my social presence because I enjoy hanging out there and I'm already there a lot. So, yeah, those were like those were really right. the foundations of. And like you say, you didn't do like a big, super splashy ta-da. You were just like, hey, I'm here. And then you started like having one-on-one conversations with people. Yeah. And, you know, I had tried launching services in the past. The past was probably like 2018 was the last time that I did. And I just was not as well connected as I am now. And so having those connections now and having actual people to reach out to and connect with and launch to was a complete game changer. So, you know, especially when it comes to visibility, like that is such a core part of launching a business is putting yourself out there making those connections because without that, it's really hard to, you know, like get your foot in the door anywhere when people don't know you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So tell us a bit about what you do at CopyClick Studio as far as like turning marketing messaging into something that people resonate with because this is a really like challenging skill for a lot of people they just like I just don't know what to say I don't know how to talk about what I do I don't know how to do it in a way that actually connects makes people want to buy from me yes so this is like my heart's passion which is kind of hilarious that it's like business marketing (laughs) but um, (laughs) right I know um So I, like I said, I started in the online space back in 2018. I tried selling something multiple times, but I always just felt like everything that I touched would not sell. Like, even though I love marketing now, I hated marketing for the longest time. I felt so uncomfortable selling. And I think that's something that resonates with a lot of people. Um, They just feel uncomfortable putting themselves out there, asking for money, all of those good things that are actually, you know, the core of your business and why we're in business, which is to make money. So I, you know, really had to work on those selling skills for myself. And that's something that I really found valuable with the story brand framework, because when you're using story-based marketing, it doesn't feel nearly as pushy because the whole premise of it is that you're connecting with your customer first. And like making those connections, getting on the same page, really kind of diving into the customer's problem and the you know success that they really want to see, and then positioning your product as the solution to that problem. So you know, a little, I guess a little bit about my business and what I do. Um, I help primarily online businesses 
really streamline their marketing messaging so that when they go to, you know, do social media posts or create a sales page or anything like that, they can create marketing that looks good, feels good and makes sales. That's my my little tagline. Because all of those parts are really important to getting your messaging across and, you know, creating marketing that people actually want to read and not just skim over. Because, you know, all of us, if there's a sales page where the scroll is so tiny, you can barely see it and you're scrolling for like five minutes to get through the sales page, people probably aren't reading that. We are all, I think the statistic is like 78% of people skim sales pages. So what I do is I help you trim down all of that to create a mark, like a whole messaging framework that's story-based. So putting your customer first, making your customer the hero of the story, um, you know, positioning your product as all about them and how it transforms your customer's life over like, let me talk about myself and what I can do for you and how I can help you. Like the marketing messaging that I implement is all customer focused. So here's how this product will help you. Here's the problem that you're experiencing. Here's the transformation that you can experience you know, by using my product. And then here's the success that you can see. So uh, usually when I meet with clients, we have like a half day strategy session where we dive into um, the seven parts of a story in relation to their brand. So we can figure out how to kind of weave these elements into a marketing messaging that really resonates with their customers. Right. And then it's different applications like social media versus email. Like, how do you use this? It kind of becomes your guide, right? Exactly. Yeah. So it's like a marketing playbook that we put together. And then I create like a one page script that has all of these pieces of the marketing framework in it. And then they can see like, okay, it's really great because then they're like, then you can take that script and say, okay, I want to write a social media post about the problem that my customer is facing. Okay, I want to write a social media post or write an email about the um, like success that they're going to see or the aspirational identity that they're going to feel. So, you know, I love it because it's like this whole guide for you to use in all different parts of your marketing and also a bunch of ideas for parts of your marketing messaging that you can talk about in all of your, you know, marketing materials about your product and your brand. Yeah. So definitely like a, an important piece of that is having a really solid awareness of your ideal client and who they are, where they are, what they're experiencing. And this is something that I find people really struggle with, especially when they're like newer into business and you haven't like worked with too many people yet and you're having a hard time like narrowing down what the niche is. So what advice do you have around that, especially for people who are maybe just getting started? Yes. Oh my gosh, that's a great question. Or, so oh, I, I know, sorry to interrupt your no. your flow there. Just a like caveat, like, so don't stop listening if you aren't just getting started, but sometimes you launch new things as you're growing. So you have a new product, a new service that still requires going through this process again. Yes, yes, for sure. So I like to think of customers as being on a spectrum. So there are customers that are very ready to buy your product. And there's customers that are several steps behind them that aren't quite ready to buy your product, but they might be ready in three months, six months, a year, et cetera. So in your marketing material, you, at least what I believe is it's it's easiest and most helpful to talk to those people who are ready to buy your product or maybe at that like 
70 to 100% ready to buy your product. They might just need a little bit more convincing. But when you're using messaging that talks to those people that are very ready to buy your product, you're still including those people that are several steps behind them because they know that that's where they're going to want to get to eventually anyway as well, if that makes sense. So they're going to be like, they're going to get there eventually and they can see like, oh yeah, I do see that I'm going to need this eventually. Maybe I don't need it quite yet, but I want to bookmark this for later because uh, that's what I'm going to need when I'm ready. And then they're going to want to stay in your space. So I find with that mentality, it really helps keep Keep your marketing messaging focused while also feeling comfortable (laughs) that you're still speaking to those people that are a few steps behind. That is a really interesting perspective instead of thinking that you have to actually like, because a lot of people teach the like customer journey framework going from unaware to most aware, basically, and that you have to like have things that address people at all the places. And I'm literally going through an exercise right now trying to figure out but what are they really scared of way back here? And how do I like take them along with me? And you're saying you kind of don't have to because they, as long as you know their aspirations and they know their aspirations and you can say, this is how we get those aspirations to like come true, then they're going to connect the rest of the dots pretty much themselves. Yes, absolutely. And it really helps like it helps you focus in as a as an entrepreneur as well because you don't feel like you have to talk to so many people. You're really just talking to that core, you know, that buyer who's like right about there. And like you mentioned, all of those people have the same endpoint that they want to go to, that like same aspirational identity. They're all having the same problem. They might just be feeling that problem on different levels, you know, like some like when it comes to visibility, some people might be in those beginning stages and they know they're going to need to focus on visibility in the next three, three to six months, but it's not a core focus quite yet. Like me, when I was just launching my business, like I know that I need to focus on visibility at some point, but like I still have to get my LLC created and I need to get my software set up and like all of that stuff, you know, mm. but I'll get there eventually. So it really helps everybody, you know, feel like resonate with what you're talking about yeah yeah and it feels a little like less pressure too as for you here if you're like narrowing the scope it means specific because we know that the more specific you can be with your copy with your messaging the more it's going to connect with people yes yeah yeah exactly so uh once i kind of figured that out it really helps my clients as well because like you said it takes less pressure off and, you know, you're really focusing on the end end result and the end result that you're going to provide them versus focusing so much on like all of these different pain points. You know, with StoryBrand, we teach and what I work on with my clients is focusing on one cohesive problem solution instead of throwing so many problems and so many solutions at your customer. Because, you know, as CEO of StoryBrand, Donald Miller says, if you confuse, you lose. So if you're putting too much out there in your marketing material, you're going to lose your customers. So really, um, for sales pages, emails, like any piece of marketing collateral that I'm working on, I try and keep it as streamlined and focused as possible without branching off on like, so you're feeling this, like, let's talk about that. And now I know that you're also feeling this and let's talk about that. And then there's this other thing that you've probably experienced and like that really stinks. And so, you know, it's just like it becomes so chaotic. And when people think that their marketing material is feeling really 
chaotic and all over the place, it's because it is and they're probably talking about too many things at once. So yeah, it's and it's hard because, you know, so many entrepreneurs are passionate about so many things. And your like any course program, whatever, probably does help with a lot of different pain points. But if you throw all those pain points at your customer, they're going to get really overwhelmed and not be as likely to convert. So keeping it streamlined, I've seen over and over again, keeping it streamlined and keeping it focused really helps your customers pay attention and actually listen and want to buy what you have to sell them. So it's kind of like shining all the lights on one main pain and solution to just like really get them to understand that this is what I need. And then that whole concept of like the sell them what they want, give them what they need, all of the rest can come in in the delivery of whatever you're actually offering. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's where it comes to, again, where you're talking about the like customer spectrum earlier, focusing on that one aspirational identity, like this is the core thing that you want. And this is like the biggest desire that you have. Let's focus on getting you there. All the other pieces are going to fall into place, you know, and that's kind of where your framework comes in of like, here's the steps that you need to see. And part of the story brand framework is having a three-step plan to help them see success. So uh, talking about, about what that, you know, easy to follow plan is, because when someone has a, uh, problem. They just want like an easy, give me a plan. Help me, help me understand what I need to do. And it's like, step one, you drive my course. Step two, I mean, it would be not exactly this, but like step one, drive the course. Step two, implement the strategies. Step three, become the aspirational identity that we're talking about and you want to, you want to become. And so they're like, oh, that's what I have to do. Okay. Like I want to buy this course. Okay. Can you workshop this with me for the sake of having an example? Because I think that a lot of the time we and myself included, so I'm going to give you my own like client's aspirational identity. I think it's sometimes very broad, right? For an entrepreneur, their aspirational identity to like get clients and run a successful business. Mm -hmm. Well, where do you go from there? How do you narrow that down, get more specific, or do you need to? Well, you can. So- why? So I would then ask you, why do they want to get more clients? I mean, they want a successful business. But if we can, if I can ask you why, like what's what's another reasoning why behind that? Well, for the the flexibility and freedom that comes with being an entrepreneur, especially when you're a parent, right? Because you go yeah. to hockey practice at four. <laughs> yes, for sure. So to piggyback off of that, one question I really like asking is when your customer is laying in bed at night and they can't sleep, what is like, what are they thinking about? Like what is keeping them up at night in relation to getting clients and running a successful business? In relation to that? Well, I feel like it's like, it's the outcome. It's the money. Like I need to make money for my business or my family. Yeah. So thinking through that then, so like, are you thinking of this in terms of like narrowing down your core messaging? In right. Because I feel like it's so vanilla to be like, you want to grow a business. This is the way to grow a business. Like, obviously, there's a million ways. It could be like, well, you need to get better at marketing messaging. You need better copy. You need to have a website. You need visibility. You need like you need a financial plan. Like it could be any yep. number of things. So what would you say it is then about your program that differentiates it from from other 
programs? Or like, what's the core thing that you teach in your program that helps them see success? Mm. Um, the skill set to put themselves out there, get visible, become more confident and clear. Okay. So then with that, like the problem there then might be, would you say it's like maybe in their confidence or something like that? Yeah. Yeah. Like, cause even as you were saying earlier, right. When we start a business, we're like, Oh, we just, we don't really know how to put ourselves out there. We feel nervous about like being too salesy. It's uncomfortable to ask people to give us money for things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what I would do with that then is to add like some spice to your marketing and not feel so like vanilla and all of that. I like thinking of a specific moment that your customer is experiencing. So like if they are lacking the confidence and putting themselves out there saying something like, um, do your palms feel sweaty when you think of um, like pitching yourself to, to your like dream collaboration or something like that. Yeah. You're like, oh, yes. So with story brand, this is the idea of opening a story loop. So when we hear the start of a story, we feel like we need to finish it. So what's a story that you can tell that resonates with them that they have experienced or can see themselves experiencing that your uh, course helps them helps them overcome? So I would start the story with something very visual, something that they can resonate with. So yeah, like, do your palms feel sweaty? Do you um, like all of those things that you would think about in lacking confidence when it comes to when it comes to collaborating? Um, and that's something that's going to hook their attention. So narrowing it down more. So you said the aspirational identity can be very broad. They want to get clients and run a successful business so that they can have flexibility and freedom. So I, when I work with clients um, in that like half day strategy session, we spend a long time really like drilling down deep into what the core problem is. Because yeah, everybody wants to be successful. Everybody wants to get clients, but like what's keeping them up at night? What does your customer deserve? So you said they need they need to make money. But like in term, even like beyond that, like they need their name to get out there. They need like the assets to deliver to like, you know, a, probably a media package or something like that. They probably like, what are they feeling? Are they probably feeling overwhelmed by all of this? Nervous about putting like maybe being putting themselves out there and getting rejected. I'm sure fear of rejection is a huge thing that um, like your your students would experience. Um, so then once we can like get all of those and really drill down like deeper and deeper, then that makes your marketing messaging feel a lot more pointed to like yeah. so that we can like talk about then the success. I see that because you could then be you're, you're more like exposing a deeper cause. Mm hmm a problem that they may not be aware of and when you point that out they're like oh that yeah yep yep and when you i need that now yes yes and then you know i'm like what they call an empath so i'm very much uh like feel other people's feelings so i'm like let's feel all of the things and let's talk about whatever your students are feeling and then put all of that in your marketing material because you know when when you can say 
hey, I know what it's like to feel scared to pitch or whatever it is. They're like, oh my gosh, she gets me. Oh yeah. People want that shared connection. That whole like, so you got up the courage to take yourself to the networking event, but now you have to go find a seat and who are you going to talk to? And what are you even going to say when somebody asks you what you do? Mm -hmm. That is like, I... As like outgoing as I seem, networking events are the bane of my existence. Like I, like hands shaking, like sitting in the car wondering if I should even go in or not. I don't- right, right. You're like, um, what? How late is too late to be casually late? <laughs> right. Yes. And then I walk in and I'm like sweating and I'm like, can people see that I'm sweating? And like, I'm. What's my name and where or do you I just live? Wine to the bar and. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah, that's me. So, uh, yeah, yeah, probably need your course over here. Watch so. out, everybody. This is coming on my sales page soon. <laughs> okay. Yes. That was super helpful, I think, for anybody to ask, like, all those questions that you were just asking me, those are the questions that people need to be able to answer yes. for their, to be able to unlock their own marketing messaging and get more clear about their ideal client's experience because we have to put everything into that perspective. Yes. I think that yes. is the main shift that I feel like we take away from this conversation is instead of, hey, I can do this and I can do that and it's going to help you. It's like, would you like this? This is what you're experiencing. Like, and you, as a result of just even saying that to them, they become, they feel that seen, heard, understood. Yes. Yes, exactly. Yeah. When you can connect with your customer on that level versus just putting information out at them, like, hey, like, you need clients. It's like, yeah, I do need clients. But like, everybody is saying that I need clients. But when you can really, like, talk about an experience that they've had, that's when they're going to start listening. So, you know, when putting that into practice, that is, you know, looking at the headlines on your sales page. Are those headlines really grabbing their attention with those feelings that they're feeling, with the experiencing, the experiences that they've had? Um, on your social media, leading with those things that are going to help them connect to you as a person and not just a deliverable that you are putting out there. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, this is so good. Okay, Haley, is there any like final words of advice that we didn't get to that you want to make sure that people hear before we sign? You know, I think when in doubt, keep your marketing concise. I think at the end of the day, people all of us entrepreneurs tend to ramble. I mean, you started your business for a reason. You're so passionate about the thing that it is that you want to share. But, you know, putting your passion out there can feel like a fire hose to your customer sometimes. So when in doubt, dial it back. Like, keep it simple. Keep it streamlined. Use lots of, like, white space and all stuff to try and not fire hose your customer with marketing material. So, you know, keep it short. Keep it. Uh, I feel like that should be like a sign off. Keep it short. Keep it snappy. Yeah, no, I'm um, writing down. This is the quote that goes with right, the right, But keep it clear and concise instead of, you know, too flowery or too worrying about being too catchy. I am rarely like really catchy in marketing. I'm very clear and concise because people have an easier time understanding that versus trying to figure out what you are um, getting across by being catchy. So when in doubt, keep it clear and concise and, uh, you know, 
try not to be too flowery because that's actually going to lose people. Totally. So good. Okay. Amazing. Please let us know where we can find you. And I believe that you have um, a lovely gift that we'll put in the show note links as well. Yes. So I love to hang out on Instagram. I am at copyclick.co. So please come find me, send me a message. And then, yes, I also have a wonderful download, uh, five marketing mistakes that might be ruining your sales. So you can grab that at copyclick.co forward slash podcasts and uh, grab it from there, free download. And then I send an email every Tuesday with great marketing tips that you can implement right away. So um, yes, come hang out with me. I, I'm nice and I have fun. <laughs> I love it. Thank you so much for being here, Haley. Yeah, thank you, Kelly. Hey, I hope that you found the seven levels deep exercise super powerful. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, please hit pause right now. Go back and listen to episode number three, where I walk you through discovering your why. This is a critical part of getting yourself to take action. And it is one of the most important pieces of your brand that gives you direction and clarity and motivation to make the impact that you are meant to make in this world. So I hope you feel incredibly inspired and aligned with your mission and your why right now. Now, over the last few episodes, I've been sharing about how my five plus years as an entrepreneur have proven that the key to success is taking messy action. And this is part of a broader framework that I have all around momentum, because we know we have to continue doing the thing for however long it's going to take to get to wherever we want to go, or however long we want to continue being in this entrepreneurial journey. It could be forever, right? So how do you maintain that momentum? along the way. I like to break it down as having three parts. So part number one is feeling connected. This is what you did with the seven levels deep exercise in the last episode. Number two is do the thing. So this is the actions that you take every day towards reaching your goals. Get results. That's number three. This is the outcome of taking action, right? So when you do something, something is going to happen. Now, results come in all kinds of packages, and it might be something like getting a client or making a certain amount of money. It might be getting on a podcast or making a new connection, but it might also be learning a lesson from something that you tried that didn't work, like a failed launch or a sales call that turns into a lost lead or a client not actually signing up after they said they were going to. While I can't guarantee what your results will be, I can guarantee that when you take an action, you will get results. And when you keep taking action, you're eventually going to get to that ultimate result that you want, which is being able to run a business that you love, that makes an impact and makes you money, while also raising a family and spending quality time with your kids, being an intentional parent, and maybe even going on the dream vacations, all of the things. I know that this is possible because this is my reality now. And I'm like in shock actually to say this because at the time I'm recording this episode, I'm like a couple weeks away from taking my entire family to Hawaii. We're taking the kids, we're taking our parents, my in-laws, siblings, everyone is going. There's like 11 of us. It's crazy. And I have also this year been able to take my kids out of childcare and only work while they're in school. 
basically so I can drive them around to their gymnastics and dance and hockey practices. And in the course of my business, I have also hired a team, won awards for my work and scaled my business to over six figures. But you might not believe that this is possible for you yet. And you might be feeling fired up a little bit about taking action now, but you know that you tend to lose that momentum and consistency pretty quickly. And that might be true, especially if you're the only one holding yourself accountable, right? If you're doing it all on your own, and if you don't have a community around you. Joining communities has been one of the most powerful things I have ever done to grow my business. And you need a community of women who are dealing with the same things as you that know the struggles of trying to get your kids ready for school, then scrambling to create some social media content before it's time to pick them up again. You need women who know what it's like to wake up in the morning exhausted after being up with a baby or sick kids through the night and then still need to do client work. You need moms who value eating pizza with their family on the couch while watching a movie every Friday after a week full of Zoom calls and networking events and a million emails that they have to respond to. And women who have similar values of building an empire and also making time to go camping with their families. Now, I always knew that I wanted to go back to work. Even after enjoying wonderful long maternity leaves here in Canada, I never felt the desire to be a stay-at-home mom. I knew that I needed to use my brain and the skills that I have in a way that made me feel like I was doing something for myself so that I could fulfill me in a different way. And I do remember going back to work after having my first daughter and feeling so different All of a sudden, this job had to mean more. It had to do more for me because I was now sacrificing all of this time with my baby in order to be there. So my priorities had changed and they were tested when my mom had that seizure and I had to choose whether to leave my job and be with her or stay working towards the career goals that I had. And I honestly don't know how long it would have taken for me to realize how out of alignment I actually was being in that job if I didn't have this massive turning point, if I didn't have this sign from the universe. I don't know how long I would have continued to drag my kids out of bed at 6 a.m. and basically run on coffee all day just to collect a paycheck. But that doesn't have to be you. You get to choose what matters most in your life and how you want to spend your time. And in fact, you've already done the hardest part. Deciding to start your own business has to be one of the bravest things that you can do. And whether you've already left your job or told them you're not coming back or have been just feeling this pull on your heart to to want to start doing your own thing, I want you to know that you can do hard things. You've already done so many hard things in your life that you probably don't even give yourself credit for. Maybe it's that dropping your kids off at daycare crying, quitting your job, getting laid off, losing a loved one, moving to a new city, or just that you physically carried a baby in your body for nine freaking months. Okay, that's hard. I would be lying if I told you that being an entrepreneur is not hard. It's quite the opposite. In fact, I started this podcast to talk about the journey, to share the challenges in real life, like honestly, openly, vulnerably, and also give you tools and resources to help you navigate through it. 
And that's also why I started the Entrepreneur School community. And that's a place where you can come together with other women who have big dreams for what they want to do in their business, but they also want to sign up early so they can go play with their kids. It's where we provide accountability, support, encouragement, and connections. We have weekly group calls where we identify the next messy action that you need to take and then give you time to do it during our call. We also have exclusive events and training to help you learn marketing strategies, mindset tips, time management, and all of the pieces of growing a business while raising a family. And this is your official invitation to join us. Visit us at entrepreneurschool.ca and click on community to get started today. Thanks for being here. I can't wait to chat again with you soon. Welcome, welcome, Angela, to Entrepreneur School. I'm really excited to talk to you about your super cool visibility strategies that are working in your business today. Yes, I'm so excited to be here. A fellow Canadian, I know when we were talking and reaching out, I almost fell over. I obviously live in Australia now, but you're very close to my hometown back in Canada. So I was like so excited when I woke up here in Australia this morning, knowing I got to speak with a fellow Canadian. So pumped to be here. Exactly. And we're having like the opposite side of the world conversations about the weather and how like summer is over in Canada. (laughs) It's just about to get really nice over in Australia. So jealous. (laughs) Yes, I know. But I do miss the summer. Like, I mean, I miss the winters back home, like waking up on Christmas Day and you've got like the stillness on the roads and you've got the snow and the icicles hanging. Uh, So there's that. Other than that, like I'm, a, I'm a quite happy to still be on the beach here in Australia. <laughs> yeah, I've never had a beach Christmas. I'm not to say I just can't wrap my head around it still at this stage in my life. So maybe one day, I don't know. <laughs> one day you can come over, we'll host you. All they do is eat like shrimp and they drink beer and they go to the beach and you might have like a hot dog. It's a very different type scenario. No, there's no gravy. There's no mashed potatoes. There's no turkey. It's still very odd for me to have Christmas in Australia. No 27 course meal. <laughs> no, no, not at all. Oh, okay. Awesome. Well, love, look, first of all, I actually have to say that this is one of the great things. Um, and then we're going to kind of unpack and talk about like connections and collaborations as part of our conversation today because like the internet allows us to reach out to people all over the place. So it's so amazing that I can connect with you on the other side of the world and we can have this conversation and bring it to anybody who's listening from all over the world as well, which I absolutely love. Mm-hmm. So, okay, so let's start with visibility strategies because like I said to you before we started recording, I'm a visibility strategist. Communications marketing has been my game for the last 15 years. And the thing that bothers me the most is people kind of touting the this is the way to do it kind of works when there's truly so many different approaches that work. So can you like add to that contextualize with what you were telling me um, before we started recording? Yeah, absolutely. In my experience of being in business, I've personally found for me that there's only three ways to gain visibility. And when I made three ways, there's three main headers is what I'm talking about. Header number one is that organic visibility strategy where you are showing up on social media, like you're having to post, you're having to create a lot of content, etc. It could also be that you might host your own podcast. You and I both have our own podcasts. It could be that you host your own YouTube channel. It could be that you're on TikTok, whatever it is organically. 
But what I found, organic works, but it's definitely a long-term strategy. You're not going to see immediate wins right off the bat, typically, in my experience. There's always the 1% rule, but typically, it takes longer. And what you're doing is you're exchanging time, right, for conversion. And so that works. And I believe we all should have a little bit of organic sprinkled in here and there. Mm -hmm. The next is partnerships. Partnerships doesn't take as long to grow, but what you do, you're exchanging time and energy because you really have to build these mutual relationships with each other because you can't just be like, hey, like I could have just emailed you and be like, hey, Kelly, get me on your show. That wouldn't have worked. You would have been, who is this lady? What is she doing? We had a, we went back and forth on Instagram. We had conversations. We got to know each other. And then you invited me onto the podcast, Right. So it's you're exchanging time and energy because you really have to nurture and value those relationships that you're building. But partnerships can be things like doing an email swap, a podcast swap. It could also be things like a giveaway together, for example. It could be, there's like a million different ways to skin a cat, all right? But partnerships, it's you're utilizing their audience normally and they're utilizing yours in order to get visible. And then obviously there's paid. And paid is really great, but then you're exchanging money. And not everyone has money when they first start off in business to be having a nice lucrative budget for marketing. But there's so many ways there. You've got obviously Facebook ads, Pinterest ads, billboards, if you still want to do that, magazines, if it still works for you. But the other thing there too, and another big thing that we've been working on, which we can talk more later about is paid media, paid sponsorship. And so if there's people that you don't collaborate with in the partnership heading, you could then go and pay someone to get on their email, pay someone to put you in front of their social media. And that's also another tactic that we've been using this year. So in my perception of business is that there's those three ways, organic visibility, partnership visibility, paid visibility. And when you infuse all of those together, what you kind of have is this thing what they call in the online space, like that omnipresence. People will start saying, ah, I see you everywhere, even though you might not be everywhere. Does that make sense? Like I saw you on this podcast. I saw you in doing a masterclass. I saw you over here. And what happens is you're sprinkling digital breadcrumbs all over of what you are. And those breadcrumbs will eventually make a cookie per se. And then that's when you start to see the conversion. So yeah, I encourage people to think about where are they infusing organic partnerships or paid visibility strategies into their business. Yes, I love that. And especially what you were saying about having a combination of each of those things as you can, because that's going to get you in front of different audiences and on different platforms where different people are seeing you when they're experiencing their content in a variety of ways, right? Like thinking about totally you, they're like, I use Instagram, I listen to podcasts, I like to go to events. So if you're at all of those things, I'm going to see your face all the time. What I would say, though, is be mindful. Like uh, you and I are just given so many examples. If you're listening out there, don't think, please don't think that you, know, you now need to go and do all those things. Visib creating a visibility strategy is really, really important that it is in alignment with you. First of all, I hate LinkedIn. I would rather gouge my freaking eyeballs out than be over there. Now, someone might be like, but I saw you on LinkedIn. Okay. We use a tool called Agora Pulse and whatever we post on Instagram and Facebook where I like to be, you can tick the box for it to go to LinkedIn. So we tick the box for it to just get posted there. So something's getting posted, but we're not, we don't have an active LinkedIn strategy. All right. And so I don't, I don't want to go to that platform because like I said, I'd rather gouge my eyes out, but I like showing up on Instagram because it's light and it's easy. I like showing up on Facebook. It's light and easy. I like to podcast. It's light and easy. 
Do things that are in alignment and feel light and easy for you and don't drag you down because energy is everything. Vibration is everything. And if you sh- if I showed up on LinkedIn, people would know I don't even want to be there. So I'm not going to attract the right people. And that, again, you don't have to do everything. And so I just, I want to cave you that because a lot of people will be like, well, I'm going to go start a podcast. I'm going to go start a YouTube channel. No, figure out what lights you up. And then the second thing is make sure that your ideal client and audience is on that platform. So if you're starting a podcast, for example, and your ideal audience, let's say, just happens to be janitors, all right, and they don't listen to podcasts because they're busy doing whatever, that's probably, you can still do a podcast because it lights you up, but understand your ROI return on investment isn't going to be the same if your ideal audience is say, business owners, and they're consuming podcasts all the time. So I just wanted to say that because I get that a lot. Well, I'll just go and do all these things. No, no, no. Stop overcomplicating your business and do more of what's in alignment with you and choose those organic partnerships are paid. And you will see things accelerate with ease and with flow. Oh, I 100% am modding so much over here because yes, we can so easily get ourselves overwhelmed, right? With the idea of like, okay, now because there's 97 different social media platforms and a new one popping up every other day and I'm supposed to use video and I'm supposed to be on my stories all the time and I'm supposed to tag people and use like, what is all of this? And then what happens is you get like frozen in overthinking paralysis, right? And then you're not actually doing any of the things to put yourself out there and get the visibility. So what advice do you have for people who are trying to figure out kind of what way to go first? I think it's just important to like think about like how do you, where but if you if you didn't have a business where are you showing up? Are you listening to podcasts? Do you mean about parenting or our health? Are you already on Facebook in different Facebook groups? And that I always like go back to what you already know. Sometimes I'm not saying don't learn a new trick. Do you know what I mean? But go back to what you already know. Because you are talking very clearly, Kelly, about that state of overwhelm and that paralysis. You won't even know where to start. When I first started out in my consulting business, I actually had one of Australia's leading e-com businesses before I started off. So I had kind of dabbled on things. But when I started the consulting business, I started just with Instagram and a face and Facebook. That's all I had. And I did that really, really well for the first year because the thing is, is those platforms expect you to do different things from a strategic point of view. So I had to learn how to really leverage Facebook in my Facebook group. And I had to really learn what did Instagram want me to do? That was before. I mean, reels and video content was very big. And then what we did is then I brought on the podcast and then I figured out how to double down on the podcast and what I needed to do, how I needed to repurpose it, et cetera. Then we brought on ads and then like we brought on Facebook ads, for example, and then we brought on Pinterest ads the year after that. It didn't happen all at once. So I encourage you to choose one or two visibility strategies that are going to light you up and it feels easy with. Execute those first before you start layering the others. Because if not, you're literally that saying you're throwing spaghetti at a wall. That's what you're doing. Each strategy is different. LinkedIn wants you to do something different to meet their algorithm. TikTok wants you to do something different to meet their algorithm. Even with SEO is another, so search engine optimization is another visibility strategy that you can do organically or paid. But the reality of it is, is you have to meet the needs of what Google wants you to do. How do you choose a keyword? How do you put it on your H1 and H2 headers, meta descriptions, et cetera? So choose one or two max 
learn the strategy for those platforms to get the biggest return on investment. And then, and only then, if you want to, add something else. Oh, yes. I am, again, completely in agreement that it's a stacking approach, right? Where you're doing it over time as you actually get some feedback, get some momentum, get some results from what you're doing. So what do you look at when it comes to that ROI piece in terms of figuring out what is actually effective? So I'll look at Google Analytics, for example. So I will go into Google Analytics on the back end of my computer every month and my team will run a report for me and we'll look at things like how much traffic do we have? What pages are they landing on? Like, like what is it that they're doing? We also measure discovery calls. How many discovery calls are we getting? But on those, when people go to the discovery call, we're able to measure it even better because we'll ask, where did you hear about us? And so, and we give them SEO, like, did you find us on Google? Was it another pod? Like, how did you find us? And then when we onboard a client, we'll ask them again how they found us because sometimes people will just say they found us one way, but really they found us another way. And that's, so that's what we do. And what we've found is referrals is always our number one conversion, 100%, because people, we were talking about this before we press record. People know, like, and trust you already. They're quicker to conversion than a cold audience, like a cold person. Podcast for us is a set, is a close second, and our third is our SEO. So we double down on those efforts. For example, now there's a thing called, and I was just pulling it up just so that I made sure that I said it correctly. Um, there's the Pareto principle, and I talk. I could. I always have to look at the name of it because I always mess it up. But the Pareto principle states that roughly 80% of our outcomes come from 20% of our efforts. So if you think about business, for example, that it suggests that a significant portion, so around 80% of our business revenue or success is generated by relatively a small fraction of its activities or products. So what I see a lot of people do is they'll then have 80 different things that they're offering to their clients. Again, they're on 80 different platforms. But you only need to be looking at what's the 20% of activities that's actually generating you the 80% of income and double down on that. So like I said, we double down on podcasts, we double down on collaborations, we double down on SEO. Mm -hmm. That's it. Because that's where we know and we've tested many things. Being on Instagram, Instagram stories will work well for me. But if you were to go to my Instagram account now, other than just posting our weekly podcast and so that, I create zero fresh content on that platform. Whereas I would used to spend probably four hours a month writing, creating all this juicy content. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It just doesn't get the leverage and whatever anymore. But stories do. So I, it's easy for me to do a story, but I'm not going to go and create written content for Instagram anymore. It doesn't make sense. So what we have done since February this year is we now do, instead of one podcast per week, we now do two podcasts per week. So I quit, do you see how I bought my time back? I quit writing those four hours of Instagram posts per month. And I now do an extra hour of podcasting a week, right? Which still equals four hours a month of content, but I'm doubling downwards, giving me maximum results. Mm -hmm. Yep, I love that. And that's so smart too, because we can sometimes just go like, I think I need to do this, or I think I need to do that. And then we forget about checking if it's working. <laughs> the so can you give a little context, though, to sort of if, if you think there's um, a sweet spot for the amount of time that you need to spend on one particular tactic, like mm -hmm. what 
acting or whatnot before you, you know, toss in the towel. Like I, I know I'm sure that you posted on Instagram for more than two months before you decided to not post on Instagram anymore. I think there's two things that I'll talk about. One is what that question that you just asked me, how long do I keep doing something? But then remind me, because I have ADHD, that the next thing is I did a summit last year where I brought on like a top YouTuber, top Instagrammer, top podcast. Well, I did the podcasting, Facebook ads, Google ads person. And we had this debate amongst each other about things. So remind me to talk about that. But the first thing is, is in podcasting, most people quit podcasting between episodes seven and 10 episodes. Yeah. So when I started podcasting, knowing that statistic, I paid upfront for a half year of podcasting editing team. And I thought if I did one episode per week for 26 weeks, I've meet surpassed the goal of what the average podcaster is. And in six months, I'll generally be able to start looking at whether or not this is viable for me. Now, starting a podcast, you need to be very clear about but what is your goal. Is your goal more discovery calls or is your goal creating connections with other people for long-term collaborations? What is your goal? My goal was both of those things. So I'd already reached my goal of having amazing people speak on my podcast for half a year. That was phenomenal. But I didn't start seeing higher conversions from discovery calls to clients till about the four-month mark. And even now, because when people work with me, it's a minimum of $500 per month for one of my programs, is we know because it's a more higher ticket program per se, that it typically takes some listening in the podcast between four to six months before they'll convert with me. So I have to know that there's a longer runway. But for me, I gave it six months for podcasting because I knew I could see short-term and long-term data. Instagram, I definitely mean, I've been on Instagram, gosh, for years, do you know what I mean? But it's only been recently when they started to make all these changes with reels, video content, written content, I don't want to do reels. And I don't want to have to do video content. It's just not what I like to do. I don't want to do it. It doesn't feel light. I feel like I've got to have better lighting that I've got to be showered and whatever. I can like, I literally rolled out of bed, showed up to this podcast. I'm in my slippers, I'm in a hoodie, and I'm in my shorts. Do you know what I mean? Like, I can shut the camera off, right? So doing Instagram stories is easy, right? But I wasn't going to do what Instagram wants me to do with their algorithm with video content. So I was like, why keep slogging a dead horse? Do you know what I mean? If I'm not going to do what Instagram wants. TikTok, same thing. It's video content. I don't want to do video content. LinkedIn, you get spammed as far as I'm concerned in a million different ways. That's how I feel about it. So for me, it was like, podcasting six months, Instagram, I've been on there for a long time, but then reassessed when they started to change algorithm. And my Facebook group, we still use, but it is one of the decisions that we'll make by the end of the year of whether or not it's worth our ROI anymore. And whether or not, even though there's 8,000 people in that group, um, it is quite active, whether or not we'll shut it down and free me up space to potentially then do three episodes on the podcast for a week. So yeah, so I hope that helps to explain a little bit. Exactly. I love that. That's such good context, right? For people to think about like, how long will I try something? And I always think that this is all like, you know, going to the gym when your goal is just to be healthier, right? Mm -hmm. That you're not going to be healthier by doing 10 pushups one time. You're going to have to continue to do it and build upon it and then change your exercises and, and, you know, happening and all of that. So, so perfect. 
So tell me about the debate on the uh, summit. Yeah, so the debate, because obviously that's what everyone says, what platform should they be on? So it was Justin Brown and I, Justin's top like YouTube, and it was me around podcasting. So should it be podcast or YouTube? It was Instagram versus TikTok. And then it was Google ads versus Facebook ads. And it was just this very fun banter. And what we decided is every platform is perfectly perfect, depending on what you want to do. There was no wrong or right platform. The other interesting thing that came out of the debate was when we all, because we're all doubling down on each of those platforms and not going and doing a million different things, is on average, all of us are spending about two hours per week on our particular platform. So because we understand that, so podcasting is my big thing. So I'm spending time creating the questions, curating guests, do you know what I mean? Doing whatever was my team. Justin's doing like the, he produces one good video a week, but it's a really highly SEO optimized, high quality video planning, whatever. Same with the Facebook ads, Google ads. It's like high, do you know what I mean? Plan and thought. And then with Brooke, for example, a big Instagram person over here in Australia, she's spending so much time on DMing, right? Back and forth and making sure she's using the platform correctly. Same thing with TikTok. So it was fascinating that all of us are pretty much spot on hour and 45 to two hours, 15 minutes on each platform. So again, the importance of choosing a platform and doing it well was demonstrated across all those platforms for each of us, you know? So whereas if you're trying to, again, if you're starting out and you're only doing 20 minutes on Instagram, 15 minutes on Facebook, 10 minutes on YouTube, you're not going to get the same volume and push because you're spreading yourself thin and you're again, not doubling down on those strategies that are needed for each of the platforms. So it was still about two hours on average for each of us to produce on those platforms and get a return on investment by producing good quality content. That makes so much sense. It's like, can you focus on doing one thing really, really well to get it working for you? Mm-hmm. And like make that your priority, especially before thinking about expanding into all of the realm of all other places that you can be online. And I know for me, like at time of recording with you today, tomorrow will be my 300th episode on the podcast. Wow. Congrats. And it's it's one of those things where like, it's the one thing that I have been consistent on. One podcast has dropped every week for almost five years and now we're doubling to two, right? But it's paying off. I pretty much, I've never had someone tell me, no, they wouldn't come on my podcast. So I can pretty much reach out to anyone now because they're like, I've got credibility. I've got authority. I've got trust. They're like, well, if she's been doing this for five years, there's got to be something behind this. So the opportunities that come to me are endless. Also, because I have 300 episodes, like I was telling you before, I've been on like over probably close to 200 podcasts as a guest because I can either do a guest swap with people or people are going to like, oh, she's got credibility from her own podcast. She must know how to speak on a podcast. So therefore, we'll bring her on. But also speaking engagements have come from this. I remember I was at Social Media Marketing World in San Diego before COVID. And one of the things that Mike Selzner, the owner of Social Media Marketing, said was when he was looking for speakers for upcoming years was, if I have to choose between someone that has a podcast and someone doesn't, I'll choose the person with the podcast because I know they're using their voice. It might They might not be a polished speaker, but they'll be more polished than someone who's not using their voice every single week. So again, it's not just about getting a new client on a booking call. It was for me thinking bigger picture about how I'd leverage this asset for short-term and long-term growth. And one thing I want to pick up in there, can you speak to the power or like the role you see in consistency? 
Yeah. Listen, you're talking to someone who has floored ADHD. And so I can come and sit at my desk with a game plan and that shit changes 84 times in one minute. All right. <laughs> However, podcast is the one thing that I've been consistent on. Now, I can tell you, I used to be able to, when I was doing one episode per week, I could have like 12, 15, 20 episodes batched. It was phenomenal. But now... I'm doing two podcasts a week. I'm like scrounging most days, do you know what I mean? To make sure my team have what I want. But the power is there. But for me, Cal, it's just like the consistency has been huge. It hasn't been easy, but it's paid off. But again, I've chosen one. So there's two consistent things that I typically do in my business. That in my weekly newsletter. I think I've missed in, do you mean 13 or 16 years of being in business? I've probably missed... 10 weekly newsletters. Like I could probably count on a hand. Do you know what I mean? How many I've missed podcasting. I've never missed any. When we transitioned from, it used to be called the the Business and Life Conversations show with Angela Henderson. We rebranded in February this year to the Angela Henderson Online Business Show. When we did that, I was advised by my podcast crew to give it one week to lay dormant so that when we relaunched, it helps us get in the charge quicker because it looks like it's a new podcast, right? Because it laid dormant. So I didn't miss it on purpose. I missed it strategically, do you know what I mean, for the launch of the next one. So yeah, newsletters and podcasts consistent. It's not always easy, but the rewards have paid off. But I'm also only focusing on two things, not a million things. Oh, yeah. Because imagine trying to be consistent, like being consistent, as you've just acknowledged, is challenging as it's tense. Being consistent with 10 different ways you're promoting yourself and things that you're doing is basically impossible. <laughs> so yeah, so- yeah, let's not go there. I think that this whole episode has been permission to choose what excites you and what lights you up. Make sure that you stick to it for a while, if I can summarize for you. And then make sure to look at the impact that it's having. Is it helping mm-hmm. you actually reach your goals? 100%, because if it's not then why are you doing it? You know, I hear this people all the time, like I've got all, I have to do it this way, but why? Who told you you have to do it that way? But that's what I read. And that's why I believe like your business plan can't be cookie cutter. It has to meet you, your needs. Because when I work with businesses, for example, I don't, people just assume that a business coach just looks at strategy. Yes, I look at strategy. Yes, I create a business plan. Yes, I give you accountability. But I also look at your health. I look at your mental health, your spiritual health, your physical health. I also look at wealth, your personal wealth, your business wealth, generational wealth. And I also look at relationships, your relationship to yourself, your relationship to friends and family, and your relationships to community. And the reason why I do that is as an ex-mental health clinician of 15 years where I used to diagnose people with schizophrenia, bipolar, depression, anxiety, is you can't diagnose someone with a diagnosis unless all symptoms are in all areas of life. So business has to be the same way. You cannot go because someone told you to do it this way or that's what the blueprint they gave you. You will always need to adapt it to you and your business, your home life, your goals and your needs. Because if you are unaligned, you will not have the money you want. Ooh, that is is deep. I love that. Um, And so important to be looking holistically at everything. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh, this has been like such a juicy conversation. And I'm like, over here going, are we the same person? Do we share a brain? Because I'm like, <laughs> so in alignment and agreement with every single thing that you said. Is there any like final words of wisdom that you wanted to share? I'd say with people, 
You know, you're right on time. Often we're trying to manipulate things and really run for masculine energy. And I'm a very masculine energy person, but learn to surrender. Learn to remember that you're exactly where you need to be. You can always change, you can always pivot, and you can always evolve. But trust the process. Double down on you, believe in you, and yeah, you do you. Because as soon as you find you and you're in alignment, money flows, line flows. And so again, that's what I would be my final words. Oh, that's so good. Okay. So you mentioned your podcast. You say it again so people can go and subscribe and let them know where they can connect with you. Yeah. So it's the Angela Henderson online business show that you can find on all major platforms. And if you want to connect deeper or, you know, explore working with me or whatever, you can head to AngelaHenderson.com.au. And again, I work with people one-on-one. I've got two different masterminds. I run retreats in Bali and Australia. So if you ever want to come to Bali or Australia, come on over. And yeah, that's, that's me in a nutshell. But again, come and find me in a way that works for you. So if it's to listen to my podcast, listen to my podcast. It's, if it's come and say hi on Instagram, come and say hi. Do things that are easy for you. And I just look forward to welcoming you into my world, whatever way that looks like. So good. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks so much, my friend. Have a great day back home. Hello, Shula. I am so pumped to talk to you about such an important topic today. We're talking about mental health for entrepreneurs. And like, we could probably be here for six hours having a conversation. We're going to try and keep it short. So please, uh, can you tell us, first of all, the really interesting um, way that you work with entrepreneurs as a therapist? So the way that um, I work in the 30-day windows of support because I find that entrepreneurs are so busy and stuff is always coming up, right? And so while it's important to have the face-to-face dedicated time, which in the 30 days we have twice, but I also provide what I call implementation support where folks have voice note access to me between sessions because that's when the crap is going to hit the fan, right? And it's such an emotional roller coaster running a business that to have somebody where, like, you may have a, a best, a biz bestie or a best friend or a partner in whom you can confide, and there may be things that you feel more vulnerable about, And but to carry those on your own is very taxing, right? And so you can drop a voice note to say, oh, the crap has hit the fan. I'm feeling so stressed out. Or if something, you want to celebrate something, you can celebrate it with me if you want a little bit of coaching, right? So it's that wraparound kind of support for 30 days for folks that really fits in with the entrepreneurial lifestyle. Because again, you can send me a voice note 24-7. I will respond within my business boundaries, of course. But life happens and you want to be able to connect, right? And have a safe place to put those things. So that's how I do it. Yeah. So important for entrepreneurs to have an outlet, like you said, and and as a like therapist as opposed to a business coach or a person in a mastermind program with you, like Biz Bestie, as you said, um, somebody who brings that different perspective. What are some of the main things that your clients bring up with you? Well, there's a lot of emotional labor. I'll thank Diane Wingert of the Driven Woman podcast for pointing out. I mean, I knew about that it was it was hard on your emotions, but she named it uh, emotional labor. And it and, and as women, we are very familiar with the term emotional labor, but we, I at least had always related it to what I do in my relationship. 
uh, in heterosexual relationships, most women are the ones who are doing the emotional labor for the family, right? Caring for the emotions of the folks around them. Well, as business owners, we care for the emotions of everybody around us because we are holding space for our clients, for our um, for our contractors, for our employees, anybody. It's not appropriate for us to, uh, when stuff comes up, to just be like bleh all over the person because we're in the leadership role. But then what do we do with all the stuff that comes up in us emotionally around our relationships with these people? And this emotional labor and we are isolated from these people by that. That's a fact, an aspect of our isolation as entrepreneurs. And so um, together, like isolation is a big topic. We are isolated in many, many ways as business owners. And this emotional labor is one particular way that we are isolated. And so to have a place where you can process all that and talk it through without harming the relationships with your clients or with your contractors or with your employees or with your business partners, right? You want to, because we're responsible for those relationships, we want to care for them, but we don't want to carry that on our backs, right? Yeah. And so I, that's one example of of the kind of things that folks will work on. Yeah. Because I can see how, you know, when we're out there facing all of the things and even just thinking about one area, which is social media, when you put yourself out there on social media and then you're just opening up the floodgates to anybody's opinions, positive, negative, whatever happens. And then you're supposed to, what are you supposed to do with that when it comes in at you? And you're, you know, there's this, everyone says, you know, just be your own self and who cares what other people think and blah, blah, blah. Yes, but but that has to go somewhere first. Right. And I'll thank Meg Casebold for bringing this up. She talks about um, feminine conditioning that women, we are conditioned in our socialization. People uh, who identify or are socialized as women, our first impulse is to say, what's the matter with me? What have I done wrong? And so for us, when we're in that position of vulnerability, like you say, holding a leadership position, particularly on social media, where we are open and also vulnerable, when someone throws something at us, our first instinct, because we've been socialized into it, is to go, something's wrong with me, right? And it takes, this is an example of emotional labor, right? We have to, we have to metabolize inside ourselves and sort out, okay, where is this coming from? What does this mean? What is my response to it? Um, without falling into the, oh, there must be something wrong with me, or I must have done something wrong, that trap, which as a public figure and a leader can like sink your ship really fast, right? And again, I'll credit Brene Brown for this one. She talks about what it takes to be a daring leader <laughs> and to take a stand on things or to to take a position again, to come back to social media, where you and I both take positions on social media around our areas of expertise, it takes courage. And things, when we do that, there is going, there are going to be things that suck, aspects of that experience that suck. And she talks about embracing the suck. And what, because it's, there's no way that it's all the time going to feel great to be a daring leader, to be courageous, right? And our capacity to embrace the suck depends on our resources and our support. And so when you're feeling shaken like that, yes, of course, you could talk to your therapist. That's me. But it also takes more than one person. It takes a whole community 
to remind you of your values and remind you why you said that thing and remind you that it matters so that you can stay firm and true to your values so that, let's say in quotation marks, assaults, right? Emotional assaults, things that land that are difficult to hear, don't shake you off your foundation, right? You need a whole community, a whole network. And we assume, especially because on social media, we just see the one person. I don't know, maybe I shouldn't say we, but certainly I've seen people and I know I myself assume that I should be able to embrace the suck on my own. But no, what we need is to be resourced. And what resource means is to have a wide network of support. Hmm. Oh, there were so many good things in there (laughs) around like not, you would say it better than this. How do you not take it personally? Yes. Well, that's the thing. To take something personally means that you are interpreting it as meaning that your innate value as a human being has been diminished. So, we, we often talk about this with kids where you distinguish between the, between the behavior and the human. And you say to the kid, like, what you did was a mistake, but you are not a mistake. There's nothing wrong with you as a human being. You are a perfectly worthy person. And this thing was not a good thing to do. So let's talk about how we could do this thing differently, right? To come to us as adults and to apply that same principle, of course, our first impulse is to take it that it means, oh, oh, well, I'm a bad human. I'm a bad leader. Something about me is bad. I've done something wrong. And that's a real shame attack, right? And that's very, shame attacks are crippling and paralyzing and disempowering. They're very, shame is like the hardest thing to deal with. Yeah. And when we can separate um, the thing from the person, and I found, I'll credit Kristen Neff for this. I found self-compassion is very, very, very powerful. So that when something comes in and I find myself feeling all squidgy in my stomach and all anxious and like, oh, geez, there's something the matter with me. Like I'm I'm a shit human being. Not that somebody has told me this, but this is what the internalized critic is telling me. Yes. To be able to go, oh, wait a sec. I'm really in distress right now. Like I'm noticing I'm really in distress. Something that has hit me really hard. And so, and you can see if you're not watching the video, I've placed my hand on palm down on my chest and also my palm is on my belly and my eyes are a little closed. I'm going to take a breath because I'm remembering like even now what it was like to hear those kinds of things and to have those feelings. And so to say like, I'm in distress and of course I'm experiencing distress, distress that was hard to hear. And then the common humanity aspect of it to say, well, it's normal to feel distress. Many people would feel distress under these circumstances. It's okay to be distressed about this. So validation and common humanity. And then um, from Kristen Neff, the last thing she says in this little process, uh, and I'll give you the link so you can put it in the show notes, is may I be kind to myself? Well, we've already been kind to ourselves by taking these steps and by nurturing and nourishing ourselves. And that helps us know that we are, we are in a in a like a warm and caring relationship with ourselves, and that sends the message: I'm okay, I'm worthy, I'm valuable, so that we have our own experience of that, and that separates that from whatever the message was, and we can then look at the message for what it is and say: Is this something I need to address or not? And if so, what am I going to do about it? But to not take it personally as an adult 
the very first thing is to turn toward yourself and to acknowledge and validate that this is a painful moment. Yes. Right. Right. And and as entrepreneurs, we're one put into that situation quite I probably more frequently. And you can speak to that in a second. And the other thing I wanted to just say is we also have this mentality of like, we don't I don't have time. I don't have time to like sit and validate myself and touch my heart and I have things to do and not enough people that help me. How long did that take? Right. Like how long was that? That was like maybe, maybe two minutes. Right. And I I can say like, I know when I do this versus when I don't do this, like some version of this. My therapist gave me that acronym RAIN. Yes, it's the same kind of work. Yes, it is. It's important, right? Mm -hmm. And it's like sometimes that moment of shame and pain and whatever like the heightened emotion is, it can stew, right? Sometimes like, and I think this is in part the definition of resiliency. It's how fast you can like move through it instead of having it stay with you and like to knock you down because there's days where something comes up and it's like, okay, that's it. Can't do anything else. Like I'm crippled. I'm on the couch or I'm whatever. I just, my brain stopped working. I can't get over this, this thing that somebody said or this way that this made me feel or whatever it was versus days where it just rolls off your back a lot easier. Well, the difference in the days is the, how resourced we are on a day when you're feeling fully resourced like things have been going well, there haven't been a lot of demands on your system, stuff can just flow off your back. On a day when your gas tank is kind of low, right, and the demand is high, eventually you're going to run out. And what happens when emotions are high really is that we can't think straight, right? The emotions take the front. We get all wrapped up in them and they prevent us from seeing the whole picture. And the value of taking that moment to connect with ourselves and to validate and reassure like, I'm okay with myself and I'm, you know, giving myself some care allows the emotions to shift so that we can then bring our focus back to what it is in front of us and what we need to do as entrepreneurs, because our emotions have important information, but they can't be the whole story, right? We can't run our our businesses on just emotions, right? And so we can take that moment to be with the emotions and bring them and our full intelligence, our full cognitive abilities back to the thing at hand. And resilience is a practice. It's a set of skills that can be developed and practiced, just like weightlifting, you know, where you grow the muscle by the more you uh, lift, the stronger the muscle gets. Resilience is a set of skills that are learned. And the more you practice them, the more they're available to you. And I agree with you that the more you practice them, the more effective they will be and the greater the impact they will have so that over time, your turnaround time after being upset will be shorter and shorter. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I I love how you frame that because sometimes I think we have this preconception that, you know, once you learn something, that's it. It's supposed to be, you're supposed to have learned it. No, like uh, that's just not even reality when it comes to emotions, especially. But I think, you know, this extra layer here, we're like, we're talking about things that all humans deal with, but through the lens of being an entrepreneur and the different pressures and the different experiences that we have when we take on this role in our lives. Yeah, it's really, it's unique. Non-entrepreneurs experience many of the things that we experience as entrepreneurs, but individually, we experience them all together. They all come, many of the stressors that we experience occur at the same time. 
and they potentiate one another. They amplify one another, right? Whereas a person, you know, like decision-making, a person who's not an entrepreneur will be stressed out about decisions from time to time, right? They'll have decision fatigue from time to time. But then they are also responsible for cash flow this month, which is very low. And then also responsible for the shit show that's going on in their Facebook group. And you know what I mean? Like they, these things occur to them one at a time where for us, they all come together more frequently. Mm. Raise your hand if you're sick and tired of feeling like you have to rely on social media to grow your business. Just be more consistent. Use this trending audio. Make sure you're always selling in your stories. But you started your business to do the thing your business does, not to become a content creator. Plus, that pesky algorithm is always changing, the online space is getting more crowded, and keeping up with platform updates is starting to become a part-time job. Well, I am excited to tell you that you don't have to rely on social media for your visibility plan. And you can build an audience of ideal clients without making social media your primary marketing channel. Want to learn how? Grab a free seat for my Burn Your Content Calendar Masterclass. I will walk you through three steps to a more simple visibility plan you can easily commit to and implement that builds an audience of ideal clients without relying on social media. I'm covering how to break through your imposter syndrome and feel more confident stepping into the spotlight for your business, even if the idea of promoting yourself currently makes your palms sweat. My secret weapon to building a brand as the go-to in your field without burning yourself out on content creation and the visibility tour method that will make you stand out from your competition and double your leads in under 60 days. It's totally free and you'll also be granted access to two of my top trainings that will help you build your momentum and get more confident on camera. Head to ksco.ca forward slash masterclass to save your seat now. Can you label some of those things for us as far as like some of the experiences that entrepreneurs are having that are contributing to our emotional labor? That's what you yeah. said. Yeah, yeah. So in, in my work, I've identified uh, seven factors and it's actually, you know, every time I teach about these seven factors, people name more of them. So I want to say that this is not an exhaustive list. These are just the ones that I've seen as I've worked through with folks, but we talked about isolation and I would say that's the number one. That's that's the major, major uh, thing that most entrepreneurs have mentioned to me. And also a lot of the research bears out uh, into entrepreneurship and mental health talks a lot about entrepreneurial isolation and the impact it has as a mental health factor. But in addition, we have VUCA, which is a leadership term. It's a short, what do you call it? Um, an acronym for volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity. It's the nature of our work, right? That our our days are volatile. There's a lot of uncertainty that occurs in the in the, in the course of our work. The information that we have to deal with is complex and often unclear, and we have to just do our best, right, um, to make a decision and go with it and hope for the best. And things change so frequently, right? Like the economy changes frequently, the algorithms change frequently. So VUCA as well is a real um, factor in our lives. There are many barriers to support for entrepreneurs um, because entrepreneurial poverty is a thing. Cash poverty is a thing. And so one of the big mental health supports that I would love to see everybody have is a um, uh, virtual assistant. 
But not all of us have the businesses that have the cash flow that can support having an assistant. And that's over and above, like obviously a therapist, but if you don't have the cash money to pay a therapist, it's going to be, or you don't have extended healthcare benefits, right? In Canada or in the US, if you don't have healthcare coverage, period, it's going to be tough to access a therapist without a certain level of cash flow in your business. And then to find a therapist who understands business, there are, there are even fewer, right? So there are many, many barriers to support for us. Hustle culture is a problem. Hustle culture is really a feature of, of uh, the entrepreneurial ecosystem. In 2019, the Canadian Mental Health Association had a, they issued a report called Going It Alone. And they talked about the nature of the discord, like the narrative around entrepreneurship, that it's go, 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 you know, like tough, handle it all no matter what. I got it. He says, yeah, I got this crush it culture or whatever. Um, but yet this is so hustle culture. is so, We have to change these narratives because the hustle culture is so harmful because we neglect ourselves and we find ourselves also kind of absorbing values that aren't even ours when we end up in business because there's an emphasis on growth. There's an emphasis on numbers. And for many of us, that isn't even what our values are, but we just get swept up in the whole thing without an opportunity. And that's the other side of hustle is that we don't have an opportunity to slow down and check in and go, hey, wait a minute, is that really in alignment with my values? And we can find ourselves having built a whole business that is maybe very successful, but is actually burning us out because we're lost in the hustle trance. Right. So hustle culture and um, capitalism, exploitative, extractive, consumerist values that get tangled up in all that, uh, those are very harmful to people's mental health. And then we talked about this already, the connection between self-worth and success, like not taking things personally, but also the ups and downs of the business. You know, when things are going poorly, then you should talk to yourself. What, well, like, what did I even think I was doing? Who did I think I was to start a business? I'm a terrible entrepreneur. I don't know anything about marketing, blah, 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 right? Then your self-worth tanks. And then when you're having a good way, of course, a good day, of course, then you talk to yourself nicely. So and that's a human tendency to link success in your role to your self-worth. And this is where self-compassion really is so much better because it's not tied to any external factors. It's really your relationship with yourself. You know, uh, sorry, go ahead. I, you know, you're going through your list and I definitely want to hear what all the rest are. But yeah, yeah. this one I feel bears a, uh, deserves a little bit more of an expansion. So important, right? For me, you're... I've heard all this before. I've literally talked to my own therapist about this, but you're putting it right now in different words that make more sense. Or maybe I've finally just been able to open my mind enough to hear and receive, which sometimes that that's a different just state of being, yeah. right? To understand that. But truly it is so, so common. And I'm saying that I've personally experienced that connectivity between self-worth and basically income like yeah. success not even being yeah. like defining success in your own terms which I've talked about a lot and have worked really hard to try and do in terms of like saying that success to me is this flexibility is this lifestyle that I have as my ability to be the kind of parent I want to be to walk my kids to school to take them to activities at four o'clock in the mm -hmm. afternoon but yet when I'm having like a strenuous time when it comes to the cash flow. I'm like, I suck. I'm the worst. And then everything feels like an attack on me. Yes. Yes. Well, this is so important that you're um, especially bringing up money because lack 
whether perceived or real, is read in the body like a threat. And it elicits the threat, the body's threat response, the fight, flight, freeze, fawn response. And so for us as entrepreneurs, when our business is business owners, when our when our money is low, we're our organ, even if we intellectually know differently, our organism is responding in fear. Mm. And fear narrows the like it's called tunnel vision. It narrows the focus on only the negative. And it also depletes because of the level of stress response, our resources are depleted. And that's when the internalized critic will come up and start really kicking your butt. It's so, it's so difficult to get out from that. But I really want to, the so-called scarcity mindset that comes when we don't have the cash flow we need in our business is a reality. Scarcity has its own psychology. And when we have a lack of time, lack of love, lack of money, again, whether real or perceived, because folks can have tons of money in the bank and still have the emotional memories of being without and still fear being without and still therefore be in fear, you know? So it makes so much sense that we would freak out if we don't have cash flow and or that we get fixated on cash flow because it becomes a survival issue on an organismic level. Like, again, you know, I know we're not going to die if we don't, if our, if our business is tanked tomorrow, it won't be fun. Yeah. We're not going to die. Yes. Right? How I think organism. The organism thinks we're going to die. I always think of that line. I don't remember which movie it was from. I think it was from like, um, oh, what was that one where they all went to Vegas, The Hangover? And Leslie Chow was like, but did you die? I, th- I, yeah. I like that all the time. The when it's like, let's assess the real risk here. <laughs> right, right, right. And that's like, that's also a self-compassion move. To be able to say like, yes, of course you're scared that you're perceiving lack. And let's, you know, you sort of invite the part of you that's in fear to look through your eyes and to take in information that it doesn't have. So, you know, you validate it and you say, it's okay. No wonder you're scared. This is scary. It's a survival situation. And of course, in a survival situation, people get scared. That's okay. I'm with you. And I invite you to take a look through my eyes. Let's take a look at what's going on today, here and now, right? There is no bear. (laughs) You're not a bunny. Right. In these four walls, you are physically safe. Your existence is not threatened. (sighs) Right? And now let's take a look at the actual numbers and let's see what the data tells us and then see what we need to do with the information at hand instead of coming from the fear. So like you say, let's look at the, the reality yeah. Ooh, oh, that's so good. Okay. I don't remember where we are. We're on your list. Of- um, linking self-worth and success. Okay. And there, there are two more. One is the fact that most entrepreneurs have a predisposition. Many, I shouldn't say most, many entrepreneurs have a predisposition to mental illness. So Michael Freeman, who's a psychiatrist and a psychologist in the US, he's like the grandfather of research into entrepreneurship and mental health. In 2015, he did a study that showed that and I forget what the actual percentage is now, but a significant percentage of entrepreneurs have mental health issues. And he has a very interesting theory because he'll he'll also he also notes that of the entrepreneurs in his studies who don't have a mental health 
misdiagnosis. Their family members do. And he thinks that there's some genetic aspect intertwined with the quote-unquote mental illness that expresses itself along a spectrum so that the most severe expression is the illness and the less severe expression is what enables people to engage in entrepreneurial activities. Such an interest. I know, right? Isn't that fascinating? Fascinating. Yeah. So, I mean, I could be like, uh, what's the word? Well, my my thesaurus is not working today, <laughs> yeah, but I could say, oh, so yeah, because you do have to be a little crazy to start. You your do have to be a little. Yep. 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 And so he says um, folks who are energetic, motivated and creative and entrepreneurial also experience strong emotional states. Mm. And so, you know, when we bring in and, and then like life is stressful. And many folks who started businesses have started businesses as a response to mental health issues in the workplace. Right. Right. So racial. I don't want to be tied to this corporate schedule and I don't I'm burning myself out only to enter into entrepreneurship. Yep. Or the toxicity, uh, specifically like racialized folks or folks who have disabilities or women who are you know, who get crap in the corporate world because they leave at five because they have families and they and they value, you know, a balance. There are all kinds of, uh, what's the word, systemic oppression built into employment. And lots of folks have left employment for entrepreneurship because they could create for themselves a healthy, a mentally healthier workplace at home where they're not exposed to these constant microaggressions around their parenting role or their skin color or their the perception of the what their racialized group is as a whole or that they want uh, accommodation to support their disability so that they can perform their jobs you know th- there's a lot of they get a lot of flack right but you come home and create your own business but you still have the mental health impact of what that was like in that workplace that you're caring for as you establish your business so there's this whole pool of like issues of mental wellness and illness that come with us into our businesses. Mm-hmm. And then the seventh factor, which we alluded to before, I call it invisible, is the fact that all the other six amplify one another. Ooh. Right? Gosh. They pile on and make it worse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Wow. Wow. So, okay. This was very like mind opening, this conversation. But before we sign off, do you have what what kind of advice do you give mm. entrepreneurs? What's your top advice for us as we navigate all these things that we're now aware of and have acknowledged are very normal? Right. So I do longer workshops based on these uh, seven factors. And we start, I, this is where I started with, the, with these seven factors. And by the end of it, it's feeling pretty heavy. People are like, whoa, you know, and... When you pause to take in the weight of those things, right, to really take in what it is I'm trying to accomplish as an entrepreneur, as a business owner, and what I have to face, it's no wonder that there are times when it's going to be hard. It's absolutely no wonder that you have mental challenges to your mental and emotional well-being. 
Maybe you might even experience mental illness like depression or anxiety or burnout, right? Because what we're trying to do is hard and it will have an impact on us. It's not a question of if in our businesses, but when. Because it's the nature of the work. So when it hits you, you can say to yourself, well, I'm dealing with X, Y, Z, one, two, three, like no wonder. Of course, there's nothing wrong with me. Who wouldn't be feeling this way? Right? There's just nothing wrong with us because what we're trying to do is hard. So of course, it's going to be hard. Mm-hmm. And to just leave it like like there there are solutions to support that there's there's ways to process the emotions to take breaks to like acknowledge mm-hmm. what you're going through mm-hmm. and try and find the ways that work for you as an individual yeah. to you know decompress throughout this whole roller coaster that we're all mm-hmm. on. well the first thing i think is to really tell yourself there's nothing wrong with me like to really acknowledge like yeah there's nothing wrong with me and then you can you can make this conversation you can make this topic a conversation with everybody you know your your biz bestie your coach your mastermind group the incubator where you go the networking group you can make mental and emotional wellness well-being part of every conversation you have because opening the door to that like creates connection of course you want to be judicious about how much you share because good boundaries are important and you want to choose carefully with whom you share, but you can put these things on the table, right? And be met by other folks who are feeling the same way. And I mean, my goodness, right? So you can validate for yourself, seek others who validate you. And then you can choose like some of the paid options too, like a therapist and a coach. But there are, there are ways that like, we don't need money after we've said to ourselves, there's nothing wrong with me. Right. And of course I deserve some support, right? And then we can go to our peers and then go to the paid options. Well, because the fact that you're dealing with all of this doesn't need to be yet another thing that you carry on your own. 100%. Yes, I love how you said that. The fact that you're carrying this does not have to be something you deal with on your own. Hmm. Oof. This has been such an important conversation. I really appreciate you shedding light on all of these topics and that we're putting this out into the world to help normalize these conversations. Mm. Please, please connect with Shula. Um, where do you like to connect with people? Shula.ca slash newsletter is where they can sign up, where folks can sign up for my newsletter. And this is really like, in terms of validation and support, that's where you're going to get it. That's where I, you know, my all my long form stuff, all the research I do, all the skill building, all that kind of stuff. The no- newsletter is where you'll get it. I also love social media for the social aspect of it. And so if you want to connect with me on LinkedIn or on um, Instagram and chat with me in the direct messages, I don't really like, I mean, obviously I create content so that I have a presence, but for me, the more fun thing is to talk to folks. So I'm, my DMs are open, right? Like for the conversation, I'm hundred percent down for that. Oh, so good. All right. Thank you so much for all of this. Kelly, I'm so grateful. It's so important. Thank you for being open to the conversation.
Okay, Keaton Hoskins, welcome to Entrepreneur School. I am actually so pumped about this conversation. One, you just did an epic event recently with the likes of Ed Milet and Gary Vee and huge speakers. So it's great to be in your presence. <laughs> and no, you, you. Amazing. And you have built so many incredibly successful businesses. So I'm really excited to hear about, you know, how you did that and how you did that as a parent. You have four daughters. And so let's have a chat about it. So the first thing I really would love to dig into is, you know, I think we have this societal definition of success and what that looks like. And it kind of sets us up for failure a little bit in terms of like we have this vision of it has to be all this money and all this fancy stuff. Can you talk about like how success, how you define success and how that's maybe shifted over time as you were first starting out as an entrepreneur and now getting to the point where you, you know, you own a helicopter? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. You know, it's funny you say how it started and how it is now because success really has been defined completely different for me from the very beginning to now. You know, when you're younger, your your definition of success is I just want to succeed and make a ton of money. And the more money I make, the more successful I'll be. And then as you start to really mature, you find out really quick, it's not money. There's no real success in money. In fact, some of the most miserable people I've ever met are those who just seek and chase money. And as I've gotten older, and and it sounds like we're the same age, what are we, 37? We're 37. As I've gotten older, I have found that there's a really, really simple answer to success, and it's, it's being present. Most people live in the past, and most people live in the future. Very few people live in the present. It's one of the reasons why depression is so rampant and anxiety is so high in our culture and in our society. Because so many people don't understand the concept that really the only thing that matters is this actual present moment. You know, you've got a million things going on right now and a million things you're going to do later today. But the truth is, is how well this podcast happens is how present you are right now with me. And so in my definition, it's those who are able to be present in the current moment that they're in and in doing so. They're able to make the right decisions, find the joy, find the peace, find the happiness, let go of the depression, let go of the anxiety. And in that, you actually get what you seek in life. It's Mm. funny that it's literally called the present because it is a gift. It's given to us and then it's gone. And our problem is, is that we live from past to past to past. We never live in the present moment to the next present moment. And so for me, it's so simple now. It's just being present And the more present I am, the more successful I feel. Absolutely. And, you know, there's a lot to that goes into that. It isn't as simple necessarily. It's why they call it a practice, right, of being present. And and has that shifted for you? Like if you think back to when you first were getting started in business before you had all the things and the money and everything like that, did it look different? Was it more challenging maybe? It was it was so different because. For me, I've never really struggled with thinking or, or staying in the past. I've never had that problem. My problem has always been anxiously awaiting the future. When I was 21 years old, I decided I wanted to be a millionaire and I had nothing. I had nothing. I had no money, no help. And from 21 to 30, I told myself I wanted to be a millionaire by the time I was 30. Now, I accomplished that, but 
I was so focused on the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. I could tell you right now, I literally wasted 21 to 30 because all I did was chase money and chase success. And my children grew up and my first wife, who I divorced because of this, I, I suffered so much. And then I specifically remember when I was 30 and I remember seeing my bank account for the first time at a million dollars and 13 grand. And I remember sitting in my living room and I thought, why don't I feel different right now? Like, why doesn't this feel different? Why, why didn't something just click and like, I'm a millionaire now, like I, this is it. And I realized, and I got actually emotional. I thought, holy shit. I just wasted 10 years to get this. And it means very, very little. And, and so from that point, by the time I turned 30, my quest, my idea of what success was completely changed. And I realized the most important thing to me was exactly what you asked. It was time and being present in the current moment and the time that you have with people and the relationships that you create. And I realized that no matter what I do from here on out, even if I'm not a multi-billionaire by the time I'm 40, I would rather be able to say, you know what? I I was in every every single present moment that I needed to be in. And and that's when it, I mean, literally it changed. Now, again, you talked about practicing it. That takes a ton of work because your mind automatically, especially when you've conditioned it from 21 to 30 to just think about the future, think about the future, plan for the future. I realized that it was going to take a lot of work and a lot of effort, but I can tell you today, I do not struggle about being in the current moment. Literally right before this call, I got a million things going on. I'm actually going to Las Vegas in like two hours. So I'm jumping on a jet. I've got a million things going on. And my daughter, she's two. She said, dad, will you dance with me? So literally I'm (laughs) right before this call, I'm upstairs in my room and we're dancing for 20 minutes. And I got a million things I could think about and, get ready for and prepare for. I mean, even this call. And I didn't, I didn't, I didn't think about anything else, but that exact moment. And in that exact moment, I was right there with my two-year-old dancing in my bathroom. And to me, 100%, that is success to the highest degree because her life and her moment and my life and my moment was in those 20 minutes And I've got a million things that I'm going to go do for the rest of the day, right? And I'm not going to see her and probably till tomorrow. But in that current moment, I was exactly there. And that, again, is all, that's the only thing I care about the rest of my life. And the success that I seek will always just be that. Be here right now in this present moment. And again, like I tell you, and I know you got a million things going on. That's the same thing I say to you, like, be here with me right now. This is our moment and this is our present and current time to be together, to connect. Hopefully there's hundreds of thousands of people that listen to this and that they're here listening at this moment. Like, you know what? I'm driving in the car, but I need to be present right here for this because there's something here that I'm to learn that will change my life. And if I'm thinking about yesterday or I'm focused on tomorrow, this whole podcast that I'm even going to listen to is going to, it's going to sweep by and I'm not going to take anything from it. it. It literally is about being present. Wow. Yeah. 
Oh, so many, so many things there. And I was getting all emotional going, yeah, like how many times has a parent put themselves in the position where they're like, ah, no, I don't have time to watch a movie with you because I have to like finish this thing for work. And, you know, like all of the sort of those little choices that we have to make on a daily basis about this or that. And without thinking about sort of the impact that we'll have later if we reflect back on those choices that we made. Exactly. Exactly. And and we miss that so much when we're not willing to be present. And I'll, I will say this because I know there's people that will listen to this that will say, I feel like I'm drowning because I don't have enough money and I, I'm losing it every part of my life. It's hard to be present because yeah. you're thinking about the bills that are coming tomorrow and you're thinking about, you know, even I have cancer and I'm thinking about what's next. Like it's really hard to be present. And so, you know, one of the reasons why people put money and success together is because if you have enough money, if you're smart, it does allow you to be in the present moment. You're not focused on your bills. I don't even know what my bills are. I'm able to have that moment with my daughter 20, 30 minutes ago because I don't care about what's tomorrow because I'm okay because financially I've done the things I need to do to be okay and to be in this current moment. Yeah. So, you know, when it comes to like business and achieving financial success, let's just call it financial success and not be a broad definition of what success is. One thing that a lot of people think about is like goals, right? Like we got to set goals. We've got to be ambitious. We got to, you know, put up a fence post out there that we want to get across. Now, how do you like reconcile that, like the setting of goals and the desire for things and achievements with the presence along the journey? Well, so, you know, one of the things you talked about when we first got on the call, and again, it's an honor to meet you. I, I, you know, I didn't know anything about you or the podcast, but you talked about success in family and in business and all of those things. And the truth is, and and I know I'm going to kick against a lot of opinions here. The truth is, is there is balance in life. And everybody that says otherwise is just a coward and isn't willing to put in the work. Like people will say, we can't have balance and success. And that's bullshit. Mm -hmm. Like people will say, well, if you want to be successful, you got to just focus on one thing. You don't do anything else. And that's not true. It's just really hard. It's really hard to put time into yourself, into your family, into your friends, into your business. I mean, in all of those things, you got to be able to do it. And then it's possible, but it's really, really hard. And so I say, this is what I tell people when, when talking about this, you know, being present and the whole thing. So I teach I have a mentor program called Limitless Society. That's what the event was and everything else. And I teach five principles and it's based around balance, right? Sure. The five principles of success, whatever you want, however you want to label it. And it's really simple. You have to, number one, be physically healthy, mentally healthy, emotionally healthy, and then spiritually healthy. And if you do those four, you're financially healthy. The problem is, is that most people focus on one, financial health, and they fuck off the rest of it. And the rest of it is really what's most important. And that's the problem when you, re you, you meet somebody who's rich and they're miserable because yep. they've only done the one and they didn't do the rest that are really, really important. So for those who are seeking real success, and again, if you're just looking to be rich, I'm not the person to talk to. There's so many other people who are so much more rich than I am, but. If you seek the exact life that you want, there will not be another person on this planet that will know better than I do. I'm not the richest. I, I'm not. But I am one of the very few on this planet 
who literally have every single piece of their life that they want. My family, my friends, my health, my money, all of my successes, it's all together. Now you're right, I'm not a billionaire and maybe one day I will be, but my success is the balance of all of those staples that I said and all four of those first ones are way more important than the fifth. And if you focus on those four, the fifth always follows. One of my favorite quotes um, is Jim Rohn talks about, if you work as hard at your job or other way around, if you work as hard on yourself as you do at your job, you'll become way, way, way more successful. But so many people just work on their job because it's money, right? Yeah. But true success is progression in all things. And that's where you, I mean, really, for those who are listening, that's where you need to find yourself is in personal development in all of those categories. And then, and then the last one, the least important that everybody puts out front, then you become financially successful. Right. And the, and the only other thing I would say, and just because you asked, I have spent, and I say this because I've made the mistakes, I have spent the first 10 years of my career, so from when I was 20 to 30, chasing success. I spent it chasing it. And I imagine you probably chased it too. And then you find out, and this will be the best piece of information I can give anybody ever. Success is not pursued. It's attracted. And you can only attract it by becoming attractive to it. And the way you become attractive to it is by working on yourself your personal growth and your personal development. And when you do those things, success comes. And I'm talking financial, spiritual, mental, emotional, physical, all of those things. And then it comes and you realize, oh shit, I've been pursuing it like I could chase it. And what I should have been doing is working on me to become attractive to it. And then it comes. Exactly. So I was going to say what you're saying is that the financial success is really the outcome of you working on those other things. The byproduct. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love it. And again, the reason I love sharing this is because I was an idiot and mm -hmm. I thought that I could chase it down and I just burned everything to the ground. And then I looked at that bank account and I went, what the hell am I doing? My kids don't know who I am. I'm divorced. I have no happiness inside of me and I haven't been present for 10 years. I pissed away 10 years so my bank account could show that number. There's no success in that. Zero. That is just like, thank you for that transparency because I do believe that what, what a lot of us feel is like, well, when I get to X, then I'm going to feel differently. I'm going to be able to act differently and behave differently. And then I'll be able to, you know, have these moments. You know, I, I actually started my business when I lost my mom to breast cancer and these are the things that make you really aware of time and how precious it is and how you don't have, you can never get it back. And so on a daily basis, just remembering like how to prioritize that. It's I love that. That is so beautiful. You know, one, so one of the things that I teach, because people ask like, how do you get in that perspective? The one you just said, the most beautiful perspective in the whole world, you just labeled. And I, it's a really simple principle. Yeah, Marcus Aurelius taught, he said, you should contemplate death on a daily basis. And the reason he said that is because death puts us in perspective. And what happened, your mom got cancer and her death 
became part of your perspective. And that perspective changed everything about who you are to your core (laughs) because you realized when she goes, nothing I will have accomplished really matters. The only thing that matters is the present moments that I had with her. That's when life like really finds true meaning for us. And that's when we actually shift into who we're supposed to be. And the problem is, and this is what I'm going to spend the rest of my life doing, is most people, and this is Ed Milet's quote, most people think everybody else is going to die. Yeah. They don't think that they're going to die. And that's when when that shift happens and you go, I'm going to, I'm going to die one day. And I don't, I don't want to just be rich. I want everything that this life has to offer. And the only way for me to have that is to be present in the moments that that life has given me. I can't imagine, I can't imagine a greater hell than standing with God and him showing you your life in a glimpse and saying, look at all of these beautiful moments that I created for you. And not one time did you stop and just be present in that moment that I created for you. And you're going to look back and go, man, that that time with my father was so important. That time with my mom was so important. And he's going to say, yeah, but your bank account looks so great, doesn't it? It doesn't matter. Yeah. What matters is that I gave you your mother until you were 20 or 25. And you didn't take the time and the moments to have that I gave you. And I can guarantee you, if I asked you for all your money back for more time with her and a present moment with her, you'd go, here, take it all. So again, you ask that question, what's true success? It's being present in the moment that we're given. 100%, it's just being present. And money helps. Yeah. But that's oh, yeah. not what success is. Yeah. So was there a specific moment for you like that you can think of that where there was a turning point in either your perspective of this or your awareness of this? Yeah. So my speech at the event, I spoke about my father. My father, um, he died when I was 21 years old. He actually was sick most of my life. And I was a Mormon missionary. And I decided that I was going to go on a mission And when I decided that, most people don't know this about missionaries. Missionaries go all over the world and they don't really speak to their families because they kind of stay focused on the work. So you really only write letters. You don't do phone calls. You don't do, they didn't have FaceTime back then, obviously. And when I decided to go, I actually had a conversation with both my mother and my father. And and they said, Hey, dad probably won't be here when you get back. And you need to understand what you're signing up for. We support you, but we need you to understand, right? My dad actually ended up living about 90 days after I got home. And when I got home and he fought like hell. In fact, that's what my speech was on at at the event was my father's fight while I was gone. And then all the way to when I got home. And, And when I got home and... I watched him die. He actually died in my arms. He, uh, my, my mom called me at three in the morning and said, Hey, I need you to come home and I need you to tell your father it's okay to go. So I came three in the morning. I put my hands on my dad and I just said, dad, you've done what you needed to do. And I'll take it from here. I love you. Like you need to let go. You need to stop fighting. And then he passed away a few hours later. But you were 21. I was 21 years old. 
I had the absolute honor of carrying my father out of our home and putting him in an ambulance. And when I carried him out, the people there were like, how did this guy live so long? Like his body stopped a long time ago. And I knew what it was. I knew he had made me a promise when I left. He's like, I'll be here. I promise you I'll be here. And and he fought for that 100%. Like his body quit way before it died. And I realized on his deathbed and those last few hours, I realized like life is not what we think it is. It's uh, It's much, much shorter. And it gave me a powerful, powerful perspective about what truly is important. My father was a nine to fiver. He was the CEO of a big company who was very successful in, in that realm. And the last two years of his life, they, they kicked him out. The board kicked him out because he was too sick. So the safety net and all the things that he had taught was total bullshit. He told me, go to college, get a degree, nine to five, 401k. And, and then he told me that was the safer out. Well, the last few weeks of his life, he, he told me the regrets he had was to not have me chase my dreams. And I said, dad, you don't got to worry about that. I'm not going to do nine to five. I can't, I can't work for anybody. I've watched what has happened to you and I can't live this way. So as he died, I specifically remember sitting in my living room while he was actually there. I was uh, kind of allowing my, my siblings to mourn the fact that our father had passed. And as I sat there, I specifically remember the impact and the, the actual twist and change of perspective and it was really, really simple. And it was, it was Keaton, you don't really know how long you have. And you may only live until you're 47, like your dad. And if that's the case, then you should get every single thing out of this life that you seek. And this life has zero rules. There's no rules. And then I specifically remember a saying that I live and die by now coming to me. And it was, I would rather sink on my own ship than I would sail on somebody else's. Meaning I will never be able to work for somebody. I have to start building businesses. I have to start doing that. And so with the mixture of two things, I can't work for somebody and life is too short. I put that into my mind. That's one of the reasons why leaving that home that day, I said, I will be a millionaire. Because I will not be in this position. I won't do it. And the other reason it was so important to me, and again, the, the reason why I've learned what I've learned is I made a commitment to my father to take care of my siblings and my mother. And I knew what that meant when I made that commitment because he was so worried. The last conversations we had, he said, I'm so scared to leave because I, I want to make sure your mother and, and your siblings are taken care of. And I, you know, I said, dad, don't worry about that. I got this. Promise you I got this. And so when he died in my mind, I thought you got to be better. You have to be a, an entrepreneur. You have to provide. You know, we talk all the time about Ed Milet and he talks about being the one, right? Well, I knew that had to be me. I didn't even really have a choice because my father died and my family needed somebody to step up. So that's why I became so obsessed with success by the time I was 30, because I knew in my mind what my plan was. And all along the way, I, I bought some of my siblings their first houses, things my father would have done. I paid for my my youngest sister. She was 12 when my father died. I paid for her first vehicle, something my father would have done. And then, and then eight, eight, oh man, 
eight months ago, I, uh, the, the most, the greatest experience I've ever had. I brought my mom in here. This is my office. And I sat her on my couch and I said, Hey mom, I made a commitment to dad that I would take care of you. And, and so from here on out, you're no longer going to worry about money. I'm going to retire you. Now you can do whatever you want, but you no longer have to worry about money. I gave her a debit card. I said, you don't need to know anything. You just need to swipe it. You don't need to follow anything. I'm not giving you cash. I'm literally just saying you're free. You're free from the worries of that because that's what dad needed me to do. And from here on out, you live the life you want to live. You do whatever you want to do. I don't care what it is. You do whatever you want to do. Don't check your bank account. You don't, I'm taking care of it. And the reason again, that that was so crucial to me is because that was a commitment in which I had made to my father on his deathbed that I was able to, to make happen. Now, here's the thing. Again, you, you know, you talk about success. Listen, I'm I'm pretty successful financially. I'm okay for a 37-year-old. I've done some good things. I'm probably not in a position to just go ahead and hand out millions and millions of dollars to my mom and say, hey, just do whatever you want. But what was important to me as somebody who really sought success was that, hey, Keaton, in this present moment, you are really, really blessed. And I know you want more money, but I think it's really important right now that you start retiring your mom now. Like she's 58 years old. Let's let her have her life. She's my mom's. She's crazy. She'll probably live to 100. <laughs> but like, like give her the next 40 years to never have to worry about money ever again. And being being in the current moment and being present is really the only thing that allowed me to do that. And and so again, just to circle back with what you asked, like if success and financial success is what I saw, I never would have done that with my mom. I would have said, no way, I'm going to keep that money because I want to pack and pack and pack that bank account. That's mm -hmm. not success. Mm -hmm. Success is being a 36-year-old young man saying, hey, mom, you don't have to worry. Anymore. I love it. That's success to me. Yeah. Ooh, that took me on like a full emotional roller coaster, reliving my own experience with my mom's death, obviously, um, too. But one thing that you did mention in there was talking about like chasing your dreams. And that's an interesting topic to discuss because there is that sort of limitation, I guess, that we sometimes feel like, oh, well, I need things that are safe and secure and like I will dream within what feels realistic rather than like something that feels entirely unattainable and setting that for yourself. You know, it, you know, I keep referencing back this last weekend, literally my talk, what I spoke on and why Ed Milet was so happy with what I, what I spoke on. It was, it was that that's what my father taught me. My dad wasn't a dreamer. He, like I said, he was a nine to fiver. Mm -hmm. But when I when I left on my mission, I had a conversation with him in the kitchen. And for the first time in my entire life, I was 19 years old, I saw him have a dream, like a real dream. And I knew I knew it was a dream because it had finally created a vision in him. 
And one of the things I spoke on was that there's two things that we do in our life. We dream and we daydream. And we give up dreaming at about 10 years old and mm -hmm. we switch daydreaming and daydreaming just wastes time and dreaming creates visions. I learned at 19 that even an old man, or he was old at that time, and so I guess only 10 years older than we are now, <laughs> I learned at that time that a real dream creates a vision. And so when he sat down with me at the kitchen table and he said, hey, I know what the doctor said. I know what your mom said. I'm going to be here when you are, when you get home. I realized that that was a legit dream, the first real dream he had. And I'm not kidding. He was hooked up to oxygen. Like he was sick. I, I didn't think my father was going to be there when I got home. So when I saw him say that, I knew, I knew it was a dream. And I saw the vision. The vision was created in him. And so, you know, when I left and I went on my mission and I would get letter after letter from my mom, like, I don't know how long he has. I just don't know how long he has. And then every week, week by week, I would get another letter from him and it would say the same shit. Hey, work, stay focused. I'm doing what I need to do. And the third piece to what I spoke on and what he taught me, the most important part to the dream and the vision is that you must then execute on the dreams that you're given. And that's what my dad did. He would, it's so funny. He would get up with his oxygen tank and he would walk around the block. Like he was just doing enough to keep his body alive so he could be there when his son got home, right? And that's what I spoke on. That's what he taught me. And, you know, for your listeners, like when you're hearing this, you should question, am I daydreaming or am I dreaming? And if I'm dreaming, what is the vision? And if I do have the vision, am I executing on it every single day? And if I'm not, why am I not? Because for me, a 47-year-old man whose body was done, it was done. I told you I carried him out of my living room. And literally the, the, the nurses, they were like, I could hear them. Obviously, they didn't think I was listening. I could hear them. They said, this, guy, this guy's body gave up a long time ago. And we don't know why he's still here. And I specifically remember answering that question to me. They, you know, because I heard him, we don't know how he's, and I, I remember saying, I know why he's still here because he had a dream and a vision that was really clear that he executed on every single day to get here. The reason, and this is the one thing I left out, the reason my mom called me and said, I need you to come at three in the morning was because she knew the dream was still so clear in his mind that the body had shut down. And the mind would not let go. Mm. So when I came at three in the morning, I put my hands on my dad's shoulders and I literally, I whispered to him, I said, dad, you've accomplished the dreams that you set out for. Let go. You, you did everything. Let go. And then he passed away. And it was merely because his mind would not let go of the dream and the vision. It was so clear. And so for me, like, again, and, and this is the whole thing of what I teach in Limitless Society is if you don't dream, you got to figure out how to start dreaming again. And how do you decipher between dreams and daydreaming? Well, it's the one that creates the vision. And then as soon as you are blessed with the vision, then you got to execute. And that's the other piece that we, even as entrepreneurs, we fall short on. <laughs> we have a dream and a goal, and then it turns into a vision and we start the business and then we don't execute on that which we set out to do in the first place because it's too hard, because we're too scared, because we're too nervous, because we're, we don't want to risk. 
But the truth is, is that the only way through all that darkness into our dream is to execute on the vision that we have. And again, that's that's the only thing I ever learned. It's the only thing I needed to learn from a dying father. Mm. I feel like you just have to trust yourself, right? That, and that it's not nobody here saying that that's an easy thing to do. No. And, you know, all of that experience and all that perspective and the constant like getting pulled off to the side because you're, you know, going down a rabbit hole and then bringing yourself back to the present. And it's a journey. It's what I'm hearing you say. It's what I've experienced as well in six years of running my own business. And that's what I would love to, you know, make sure that we're clear about with anybody listening to this. Well, 100%. And and again, and I know that we, we keep going back ultimately to the things that we started to talk about, but how do you trust yourself? Well, that's called self-development. That's personal development. That's working on yourself. Mm-hmm. The truth is the only way to build confidence and trust in yourself is to keep your word. And the only way to do that is by practicing it. So again, I have these entrepreneurs because of course I, you know, I started Limitless Society literally a year ago. And all I said was, I want to make 10 millionaires this year. That was literally it. I didn't even know what the hell I was doing. I was like, I want to make 10 millionaires. I've started 35 businesses and I'm done doing that. I'm not really done starting businesses, but I was like, oh, I'm done doing that. I want to help people and I want to make millionaires. And so I had thousands and thousands and thousands of messages come in and I realized like, Okay, so now I got to build a program. So I start this program and I realized immediately it's not about being an entrepreneur. It's not about systems and strategies and infrastructure. You can only be as successful as you yourself personally develop. So if you work on you, every single thing falls into place. The truth is, is even on this podcast we're doing, Everything we've said can be found on YouTube for free. Everything that we're talking about, any kind of program or system can be found. That's not that's not what this is about. It's about being able to do. And you can't do if you don't trust yourself, if you don't have confidence, if you're not disciplined, if you're not willing to put in the work, if you're not motivated. And all of those things is only one thing. It's personal development. So again, you can have a dream and you can get the vision and then you can throw it to the wayside because you're not willing to execute and you already know what you need to execute on. So you go back all the way to the beginning. And this is what I've realized in Limitless Society is let's work on us. Mm -hmm. Let's work on us. And the more that we work on us, the greater and more success we find in our business and our relationships as a father, as a mother, as a parent, as a spouse. Mm-hmm. And then and then everything succeeds. The first question that I'd ask, and I know this is a little bit of a tangent, but the first question I ask when I mentor people in their business, literally because we get on a phone call and they're thinking I'm just going to blast them with information. I say to them, how is your marriage? That's the first question I ask when I start mentoring business owners. How's your marriage? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, it's, I almost always get the same, same answer. Oh, it's a six or a seven. And I go, awesome. Your business will always be a six or a seven. And they, they're like, they look at me like I'm an idiot. And I say, your business will never be more successful than your marriage is. Just won't. So we got to start there. Now, if you tell me you're a nine in your marriage, then we'll move on and we'll go to something else. But that's the way that it works. That's why personal development is so important. It's why that whole quote of, if you work as hard on yourself as you have on your business, you will create a fortune, not just some financial uh, stability. You will create a fortune. 
And and that's, I think, what this whole podcast is about. Yeah, absolutely. And so as we wrap up, because there's been so many amazing stories and lessons in what you've talked about. So thank you so much. Do you have one thing that you want to say, piece of advice, inspiration, whatever, to help an entrepreneur to get started? Yeah, I would say the most important piece of advice that that I would tell somebody who wants to start a business, like an actual somebody who's like ready to do this. And I know this is going to be deep, so hopefully you don't mind. I love it. <laughs> you, you, should go, you, you should go back to whoever you remember yourself being at your youngest age. You know, I remember as about as early as six years old. You should go back to that person and you should ask that person if the person you are today is who they need. And if you can answer in all honesty, yes, it's exactly who that person needs, then you're good. You're ready to rock and roll. If it's not, then you have a lot of work to do until you are ready to become the entrepreneur you need to be. Most people struggle, and this is a very common denominator, most people struggle with confidence. And the reason they struggle with confidence is because they are not the the adult that their younger self needed. So when I was six years old, my dad was always sick. We always struggled with money. I love my father. He was not a leader. He wasn't. He was a follower. That's why he was a nine to fiver. When I was six, like, I was always scared. I was scared about where money was going to be. I was scared about where to turn when chaos hit. I was scared. I was just there. I was always scared. I needed, I needed somebody to step in and be a leader. I needed somebody who was financially strong. I needed a spiritual giant. I needed someone who would be present with me in really, really important moments. I needed somebody who would say they were proud of me. And again, I'm not, I'm not speaking ill of my father. There was just a lot of shortcomings. And the man I am today is 100% the man that I needed when I was six years old. And that's why I crush in any business I do, because I'm a leader. I know how to finance. I know how to make decisions. I'm good. I'm passionate. I, I have empathy, sympathy. I'm hard. I'm stern. I have boundaries. All of those things that it takes to be a great leader and business owner. And so now I can do those things. It's so crazy how trauma and and issues of us growing up is the same reason why we're not successful in our business. And even people listening to this who aren't really willing to go deep aren't going to make the connection. They're going to say, well, I'm I'm not selling what I need to be selling. That's why my business sucks. And the truth is, if I dive in with you for five minutes, I'm going to realize it's because you're not a good leader and because you can't set boundaries and because you haven't been honest. And that's who your six or seven or eight or whoever you remember, that's who they need. And you're not being that. And so for me, when you ask that simple question, like, what is the one piece of advice? Go back to the youngest version you can remember and have a conversation with that person. And then you come back in real truth and tell me, are you who they needed then? And if you are, you're ready to, you're ready to kick the shit out of business. <laughs> and if you're not, then identify what you are not and work on it like a savage until you become that. And then when you start a business, you're going to laugh about how easy it is. It, it is so easy. 
just is. Hmm. Oh, I, uh, well, that's exciting. <laughs> exciting is obviously um, a lot of work to do to get to that point and, and awareness and acknowledgement. And um, I hope that people feel empowered to explore that from having listened to this conversation. And thank you so much for sharing everything that you have today. Please go and check out Keaton at the Limitless Society. I will put all of the links, how to find him on all the places in the show notes. And I just, I really appreciate you being here today. Absolutely. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. You did it. You just listened to another episode of the Entrepreneur School podcast. It's like you just went to business school while you folded your laundry, prepped dinner, or picked up your kids at school. Thank you so much for being here. I want to personally celebrate your commitment to growing your business. You can imagine I'm throwing confetti for you right now. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a review. Make sure you're subscribed and let us know you're listening by screenshotting this episode and tagging us on Instagram. Head to entrepreneurschool.ca for tons of tools and resources to help you grow your business while keeping your family a priority. You can subscribe to our email list and join our community. And until next time, go out there and do the thing.